0: your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to our Forbidden Door Po Show. I am John Pollock, joined, as always, by waiting here on a late Sunday evening going into Monday. Um, but I'm very energized. How are you, Way?
0: Uh, same, same. Yeah. No, this was a this was a show that definitely perked me up, you know,
1: especially that crowd in Chicago. What a crowd. Fantastic crowd in mm-hmm. Chicago that I'm sure we will be referencing uh many times uh th- throughout the show. Uh but yes, we have a stacked card to go through. Um I woke up today and I said, You know what? Uh twelve matches, they could they could add another. You we could fit Lance Archer in somewhere on this show. So you gotta pretty much close to a 5 hour show i'd say like you know 4 4:45 was about the time and then jr alerted us that we're running out of satellite time folks so we got to we got to get the hell out of here so good night um but yes i i'm going to say off the top i i thought this was a fantastic fantastic show
0: it was excellent it was excellent going into it of course i think you know a lot of the chatter and discussion was mm, maybe the card has not necessarily lived up to, I think, what people's expectations were when they initially announced the concept. And certainly, you know, for all the people that bought a ticket there, I wonder if this was the crowd that they were looking forward to. I'm betting, you know, most most people weren't. Um, but there's...
2: Were we not me, never expecting the crowd? I,
0: I would say they weren't expecting the card that oh, they ultimately card. got. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. But I would say like almost everybody probably still realize that, you know, with the talent that's available for both of these rosters, it's almost next to impossible for the show to not be good. And once you kind of got into it, once you've got into the matches themselves, every single one of these matches delivered.
1: Yeah, I think the the determination of the success of the show is going to be based on three factors. Tickets sold. Pay-per-view sold. And the show quality and two out of those three were uh, very strong. Like this was an immediate sellout. Uh, Now the secondary market, it totally collapsed. You could get into this show for four or five bucks today if you wanted to. So it was like, if you're going on StubHub, it was not a hard ticket to get. So um, that, that, does tell you a bit about, I, I think, maybe the build and anticipation from when those tickets were sold and going on the secondary market. Um, in terms of show quality, I, I thought this was just, um, this is going to be one of the best cards of the year. And mm-hmm. the pay-per-view number is probably the most important one. And I, I think that's going to be really interesting. Like, I, I threw out the figure of, like, higher or lower than than 115. And I think that's kind of the magic number. If they do above 115, and you're talking about if we had said back in September way that there's going to be an AEW show with New Japan, but it won't feature Kenny Omega or Brian Danielson or CM Punk or Kota Ibushi, that's a lot of wind out of your sails for a hypothetical dream card between both companies. So I think if you can do, um you know, over 115 for this show. I think regardless, this is going to happen again. Um, but, but I do feel the concept is going to reach people in terms of buying this pay per view. And I, I do think that at the last minute, I, I think there was probably a lot of interest in to at least watch this show and it's going to get great reviews coming out of it. But that, that's the big unknown is what this does on pay per view. Yeah,
0: I think regardless of everything, this, I think, is too good of an opportunity not to do again, if not uh, certainly next year, then maybe even more often than that. You know, the fact that I think looking at this particular year's iteration and being as handicapped um, with injuries and who knows what else as they were, um, there's no way that they won't be able to improve on something like this there's still so many dream matches left on the table that they have not been able to get to yet and i would hope that you know in AEW's case if they're doing the ones doing the heavy lifting promoting the show that lessons were learned about promotion this year and in particular scheduling you know i have to imagine this year the the what what how how this kind of fell in right between blood and guts and, and double or nothing was probably not ideal but also probably On some level, you know, out of their control, like the the problem is
1: it's it's both schedules you're trying to maneuver around and New Japan is like they were building everything for Dominion and you squeeze this in before G1. Like, what is the ideal time of the year to try and and do this? Um, It's tricky when you have, you know, two competing schedules and. Um, I, I just think this is always going to be something where the timing is, is going to be tough. Like, do you want to do this right after G1, where that kind of collides with your Labor Day pay-per-view? If you're AEW and you've got your New Japan guys that have just gone through a hellacious tour of of G1, um, you know, you, you can move it to a different time in, in the year. I think that that was certainly a factor, but I, I imagine it was a lot of like the names we just listed that were not around. Other injuries they had to deal with, ones that were known ahead of time and ones that kind of, like a Danielson that just kind of unfortunately happened at the, at the wrong time that impacted things as well. So this is what they were left to work with. And I think as we looked at this card, I can't say I'm surprised that we were sitting here on a Sunday night looking at this as a really tremendous card because I think it looked like it on, on paper, but it was more so how we got here. And that's going to have a big impact on, on your pay-per-view number. So let's get into it because it's, it's a very busy show. And then we'll be opening up the phone lines for our Double Double Ice Cap and Espresso members at PostWrestlingCafe.com. Thank you to everybody that is joining us live. And we will be getting uh, to your feedback later. And uh, Super we- Chats as well. Yes, so you can get uh, those super chats in we will be monitoring those. We start off with the buy-in, uh, which had Excalibur Taz and Kevin Kelly uh, on the broadcast. and they were kind of our team for I would say uh sixty to 70 percent of the show and then we got s- some drop-ins and Jim Ross doing the last uh, couple of matches on the pay-per-view. But then we also had the duel in-ring announcers we had Justin Roberts representing AEW and he had been he's been uh, he's been off for for some time but back here along with uh Takoro Shibata who was maybe low-key my favorite person on this show this guy was just added a he, lot I, I like the this other touch. Shibata I I love the fact that they went to such extent to have like the New Japan in-ring announcer but yet Rick Knox is officiating the IWGP title match
0: well, I, I guess uh, there's only so much budget to fly, you know, New Japan crew over here. I
1: guess you got to make your your. It's like the ring announcer or the referees.
0: Is he the usual announcer for New Japan?
1: Um, I I would or love is to just say just one that of them. I, he sounded a little different. I don't know if he does all the shows, but uh, I definitely recognize him. So, hmm. um, yes, we started off with uh, QT Marshall and Aaron Solo against Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi. Um, a lot of heat here for QT and chanting that he sucks and uh we did have referee jeremy marcus here representing new japan so so we did get that new japan referee here from uh from the from the u.s He's contingent strong. yes yeah. um qt went for his uh version of the space flying tiger drop the qt special uh which taz noted we can see why it's rarely done as he made his way <laughs> over the top to the floor and uh, qt is mocking hiroki goto's hand sign and has met with a lariat he calls, QT calls for the diamond cutter. It's blocked on the first try, but then uh, later hits Yoshihashi with it. Goto makes the save. QT then misses with a 450 splash. This is our opener on the buy-in. And then Yoshihashi kicks QT into an Ushigiroshi and they hit their double team and pin Aaron Solo in eight minutes and 54 seconds to kick things off. Um, as Goto, you know, that was, that was high stakes with Tanahashi. You're either going to open this show or close the show. And he had to, he had to open. The buy-in. Well, at least he got on the show. That's that's a good thing.
0: um I thought it was an okay match. You know, we're grading this a, as an exhibition on a free show on YouTube to try to entice people, and um I can't necessarily say it was all that enticing. Other than the fact that I mean, you got to see you know genuine New Japan pro wrestlers inside uh, an AEW ring on U.S. soil in front of this crowd. You got a sense of the atmosphere. But to me, it was not necessarily remarkable unless you were simply imp- impressed by that novelty. But some flashy moves from QT there.
1: You know what this was? This was like a sign of, listen, this crowd's really into stuff. And they're only going to get louder as this show progresses because mm. they were into Yoshihashi. Oh, yeah. That's, that's a pretty good sign.
0: Well, I mean, that's something that's always – I know I shouldn't be that impressed, the fact that, you know – this crowd knew everybody. This crowd like went crazy for Shibata. They went, you know, they were cheering for Hiroshi Tanahashi over John Moxley in the main event. I shouldn't be surprised because I mean, the genesis of AEW is from very much New Japan and, and that All Out show, uh, more so than ROH, in my opinion. So everybody knows everybody on this show. At least the people that were there live.
1: Uh, the additional match uh, we have four matches on the buy-in. They added Lance Archer against Nick Comaroto, and Archer came out in his uh, Suzuki gun shirt. And Archer drops him face first on the edge of the apron. Uh, gets hit with hits him with a choke slam. They're trading strikes, and then Archer does his rope walk into the moonsault for a two count. Comaroto catches him with a power slam, uh, but then gets stopped on the turnbuckle and hit with blackout as Lance Archer wins in six minutes and ten seconds. It made sense for, you know, this guy being AEW's own representative in the G1 to throw him in somewhere, although n- not obviously a a big spot of any note on the show. Just someone to get on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um,
0: I don't know if they forgot about him like on Wednesday or even Friday, you know, when they were making all those late announcements. Uh, oh, by the way, we should probably feature our G1 uh, representative. But um, here he is, you know it's nobody was really expecting the match. Nobody was really demanding the match, but I mean, it was a, a fun Haas fight. You know, I think Nick Komaroto is always, uh, I don't even, I guess he's always on dark. Cause like, I never hear from him nor the, key, the, what is it? The factory. And so it made their inclusion in this feel just kind of very last minute. And like, who else is around that we could use, you know, and they got um, all the
1: factory workers on.
0: Yeah. So um again, not not high in importance at all, but I mean sure, a bit of showcase and to let people know that Archer's in the G one this year.
1: Alex Marvez interviewed Clark Connors in the back. He hopes uh Tomohiro Ishii gets well soon. He's got this opportunity. He's gonna prove that he's not just great in Japan, but also on the largest stage here in AEW. Let's True. go. Let's go wild.
0: Yeah, I don't know how how Ghetto uh would have liked that that comment. I mean
1: there's no way anyone caught the, the this promo backstage. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> oh, you don't think they, so? They, you they have busier that. things to do. They're not catching the buy-in. They've got they've got a whole pay-per-view to watch. So, yeah. this was like a Hulk Hogan calling the WWF title uh, an ornament, <laughs> not like the real title, the IWGP title.
0: It's nice to, nice to see Connors get some mic time. Um, Definitely, like probably a weaker a- aspect of his game at the moment, but you know, still it this necessary. guy needed
1: something because he, yeah. um, you know, he was sort of the the weak link in the match, and you wanted to give him something here, so they did mm-hmm. get this promo, and the and the crowd got into him for his like big spot of the match. But the buy-in concluded with Yoshinobi Kanemaru and El Desperado against Swerve Strickland and Keith Lee. Uh El Desperado, man, this was uh, I, I would have loved to have seen him in something more more prominent. I I enjoy watching this guy so much. He's just the best at, at breaking down someone's knee and everything that, that revolves around that, that numero dos and finding unique ways. And, and they did that in here with Keith Lee and they played off of Strickland and Lee not being on the same page when Swerve missed and drop kicks his partner in the knee. And this led to Lee selling his knee throughout the whole match and Desperado having that target. And as I said, he's just fantastic when it, when it comes to that stuff, um, Swerve comes in and Lee is, uh, stalling on the floor. Desperado kicks the rope low into, into Keith Lee. And then finally, um, Canemaro goes back to the knee figure four, and then Desperado puts Swerve into numero dos, but Lee grabs Desperado by the throat, uh, breaking both submissions. And we get, uh, the Centauri surprise from Kanemaru into Lee's uh, face for a near fall as Taz reminisces uh, and notes how much that burns because there was a time that he had bourbon uh, spit into his face and he did not contextualize if this was in wrestling, if this was just a night out with Hook. Uh, but man, that would suck getting bourbon like right in the face, in the eyes, no less. Uh,
0: you know, I've never had it happen to me, so I, I can't really tell you. um. But, I, I, yeah, I imagine it would be fun.
1: Swerve then leaps over the top, coming down with a double stomp onto Desperado. And at this point, this crowd just, like, has this gigantic release of, like, this is awesome. And we're, like, yeah. going to get on our feet for this. And they're just going nuts here off this, this spot. And then Lee hits the Big Bang Catastrophe to pin Kanemaru in 12 minutes and 5 seconds. Strongest thing on the buy-in.
0: Fantastic match. Absolutely. Um, I didn't expect Kanemaru and Desperado to- desperado to be so like completely relentless in comparison to lee and and uh swerve here you know their barrage was constant obviously you could tell the years of uh teaming up together um their psychology in in their barrage on lee's knee was very you know amusing to watch uh and i thought their charisma was fantastic their heel shtick as tiring as i think sometimes it may like they're not even heels half the time. At least like Desperado is not a heel half the time. But like you know, um, I feel like the Suzuki Gun in- stuff in general might be a bit tiring in a New Japan setting. But in an in front of an American audience, it works great. You know, them playing to the crowd, um, and just like really kind of like absorbing the booze. I thought they they translated really well.
1: Yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed this tag match a lot. Uh, Very strong stuff here. Hobbs and Starks are in a private box, and they make fun of Lee and Swerve calling themselves Shaq and Kobe when they're Jordan and Pippen. And the crowd booed this. They did not co-sign on that. And Starks refers to Swerve as Sinistic from the Applejacks commercial, and Keith Lee is a broke-ass Philip Banks and they will never compare to them. You can't be the best team when you haven't beaten us. So obviously this tag match is coming up pretty soon. Yeah. Yuya Uemura, I guess you didn't really care for the insults.
0: Didn't quite. Uh... The, the Mr. Banks line.
1: Yeah. That's good. It was okay. Yeah. Yuya Uemura, Alex Coughlin and the DKC and Kevin Knight taking on Max Caster and the Gun Club. So Max Caster comes out. Say he's going to put four more guys on the injured list. This is the last company that I would be tempting fate by by making light of uh, your injured reserves. Because yeah. uh, anyway, but uh, he said that the uh, the dojo guys are too busy washing Shibata's balls.
0: Yeah. They said, he also said, I'm going to make you call me senpai because you're too busy in the dojo watching hentai. <laughs> so it's funny.
1: So... Then they go through, Austin yells out for the Tokyo Dome, Colton says Green Bay, and then Bowens does Chicago, and Excalibur says, if they go any longer, we might have to cancel this pay-per-view. So then Danhausen appears on screen and plays a Assboys song, so Austin and Colton leave and run to the back and never come back. So we just get a four-on-two match with Billy and Max Caster.
0: hmm yeah. Um. I mean, I think the obvious intent was to you know make the la dojo feel like the heels in this bunch and it was a way to do it you know for a group of people that i, w- I would imagine um a lot people a lot of people watching would not have been familiar with
1: well this eliminated austin and uh and colton from the match so uh Coglin. Hits a fall-away slam onto Billy, dude. Billy towers over everybody he's around.
0: Billy Gunn might like he. Every time I see him in AEW, he he feels like he's the biggest guy. Like he feels like he's Wardlow. You know, yeah, I'd love but, to see see him actually stand next to Wardlow. Yeah,
1: this is a fully grown lion, Billy Gunn. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Kelly is uh, putting over Yuya Uemura huge here, comparing him to Tatsumi Fujinami, Ricky Steamboat. Um, Billy gets the hot tag. This is all built around Billy, by the way. And he hits the big boot onto Uemura. Knight avoids a Famouser but lands a dropkick. And then Billy with the Suck It and Famouser onto the DKC, tags Max for the mic drop, and pins a DKC in 536. But, I mean... I, I saw like a lot of enjoyment over uh, Billy Gunn in this match, so I guess that was the uh, the appeal of, of this match. I mean, he's certainly the most
0: famous person of everybody, but also Max Caster, I think, you know, I, I mean, Max Caster, obviously, like, I think the bigger star, at, at least, you know, as, in terms of current uh, wrestlers, I felt it was pretty odd, honestly, the whole thing. I, I also figured like the whole ass boys leaving was a a, a reason to give the, uh, the, to have the gun club lose the match, you know, with the four on two disadvantage instead, (laughs) instead it, it seemed like it was a reason to have them beat the LA dojo.
1: Really, it was. It came out at, down at to a disadvantage. Big, it was like the yeah. two overcame the four. I mean, it was very bizarre. I don't know what the deal was with Austin and Colton being removed. Realistically, John, it was just Billy
0: Gunn who defeated the LA Dojo by himself.
1: I mean, at least he didn't – I would have seriously been pissed if he pinned Yui I would have – like, yeah. the, the DKC, I guess, was your sacrificial lamb. Like, here.
0: The, the entire match was caster selling. He gives Billy Gunn the hot tag. Monster, he, monster baby face Billy Gunn here. He, uh, you know, uh, fame Masser and just destroys the LA Dojo. So, I mean, I guess you could tell, like, you know, AEW is, is – Tony maybe was booking this one, and Gato was just like LA Dojo, whatever. You, you can have him lose. Who cares?
1: Maybe they wanted to sync it up with um, you know, who was a guy who was popular during um the Bull's last big dynasty? It's uh, Bill, could it's be Billy Gunn. Or you could be looking at, hey, Billy Gunn, New
0: Japan veteran.
1: That's right. That's right. You know, when Tanahashi came, he wanted to wrestle Billy Gunn. Remember that? That's it. Maybe they're building him up for Tokyo. Uh, so- Dome. So that concluded the uh, the buy in uh, portion with with those four matches. Um, I, I really enjoyed the the tag in, in the middle there. Tag and was it, it was fun. Yeah. It was like everything went by fairly quickly, and then we go on to the main card, and it's the same announcer. So we again it's Excalibur, Taz and Kevin Kelly, and I thought the three of them were great together. In particular, yeah. I thought Taz was phenomenal on this show i really? thought Taz was really great yeah
0: well, taz was very good but to me like the standout in all of this is always going to be excalibur he is somebody who knows new japan as well he does as he does uh, all elite wrestling kevin kelly as well the two of them together the three of them together were fantastic. where was chris
1: charlton what was he doing well
0: that that was the question as well
1: um because he was there i don't know
0: yeah took a photo with maybe, saying, regal.
1: maybe watch with william regal i would love to hear that alternate commentary
0: uh me too i'd love to i mean i i think i would have loved to have seen some presence from him but i suppose when you have already like so many other people maybe they didn't consider maybe maybe he was necessary. on new
1: japan world's uh feed to translate the english promos into japanese
0: oh okay yeah uh, you know i'd love to know what his role was i mean he's probably very deeply involved in Bizar- the website Bizarro charlton
1: yes translating wow. everything
0: into japanese interesting goes both so, ways
1: yeah he could translate uh I'm a wizard.
0: Yeah. I'd love to know how to say that.
1: Chris Jericho, Minoru Suzuki, and Sammy Guevara opening the show, uh, taking on Eddie Kingston, Shota Umino, and Wheeler Yuda. So for the second time this year, Jericho and Kingston find themselves in the pay-per-view opener. And maybe, maybe Jericho's discovered something on these shows. Be in that hot opener. Like this is a coveted spot on any AEW pay-per-view.
0: Judas is also a great way to open up a pay-per-view.
1: Yeah. It's, it's a good spot. And, i i would I, w- I would imagine like there's a lot of guys that want to be in that that opener on the mm-hmm. pay-per-view
0: i i also imagine like you know maybe there was some appeal to having judas and kazani back to back
1: yeah, to start the show I mean, you, you did have that as well i mean they could have done a uh kind of blended version of it a, a, a mash-up of those two because need you this uh no i don't know <laughs> That would probably sound terrible. Yeah. So both come out crowds going wild for, for the themes and they show footage of Jericho slapping and attacking Shota Umino at Wrestle Kingdom 12. And I thought based on this, I thought we were going to get a lot of like other footage throughout the show to like tie in stories. This probably should have aired on TV. It's, oh, yeah. it's a small thing having Umino in this match. But if you're going to have him in there and explain it, this is great footage to have. So I'm glad they aired it here. But this, this could have been better served maybe on television
0: completely agree i mean we've, we've already talked about it on you know reviewing dynamite it was a very bloated show in that they had to announce so many things so many th- matches that they didn't even they didn't even finish announcing the whole card on wednesday on top of that you had to build the blood and guts so i guess maybe
1: excalibur's voice gave out it's like and let's or- <laughs> tune in on sunday maybe you just quit after that he, he didn't have a, a nick camaroto in him so Jericho and and Wheeler Yuta start. And, dude, this is the point where you realize this is going to be an incredible crowd. They are yeah. so into Yuta. Mm-hmm. And they do this spot where he hits a German to Jericho, but he holds on. And it's one German after the other. And the crowd just gets louder and louder and louder and louder. It's this incredible start. They and were on he, their
0: feet. And then the, the camera cut to like the wide shot where like it, they, they recognized a significant moment. And this was at the start of the pay-per-view. Yeah. Usually you get moments like this, like in the, in the, in the last stretch of a main event, this was the start of the pay-per-view.
1: Yeah. I mean, this was a tremendous spot and the crowd is just, they're chanting for Eddie. They're chanting, let's go shooter. I mean, they're just into everybody here. Mm-hmm. Jericho and Kingston are finally in, but Jericho won't, go to -to toe-to-toe with him he tags in suzuki so the crowd they're momentarily like oh the coward but then it's like oh shit it's kingston and suzuki we'll take this and the two just stare down one another they're trading chops we've got kingston like uh doing the kobashi style chops in the corner and suzuki he won't sell these kobashi chops he just stands
0: up to him he's He's like what what am i going to do with this replica I've, i've faced the real thing
1: so Jericho then tags in when Kingston is down and injured, and then Kingston lights Jericho up with 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 the the chops in the corner. Uh, we get the the heels then with tr- a triple submission spot here, including Kingston in the octopus by Suzuki, and uh, Guevara is uh, caught with an exploder and an STO, and Guevara climbs to the top. And hits a shooting star press off the top to Umino on the floor. Yuta follows w- w- with a dive over the top. Eddie hits a topi- or an elbow Suicida. And then Minoru Suzuki teases a dive. But then he's just playing the crowd. This is a guy I never want to see do a dive in, his, in the remaining years of his career. But I would love to hear see him tease it. Every match. Why not? Yeah. Very entertaining. Uh, Kingston gets a blind tag. He hits a backdrop driver onto Sammy and applies to stretch plum and Suzuki comes and break it. We get to, we get an hurricane Jericho Germans, Kingston Guevara with a springboard cutter and then Yuta with a frog splash. All six men are down. Um, there's just a million things going on here. Guevara hits Yuta with the GTH on the floor. Kingston then nails Jericho from the floor. This leads to a huge near fall for Umino. And at the end here, this was all about Umino mm-hmm. and Guevara. He kind of missed this bat spot to Umino, but he still sold it. Ducks it, the GTH. No, no, it. he actually landed. Like it looked, I thought too. He it missed. looked awkward, but I didn't rewind it to, like, to watch. I, I, I did
0: rewind wind it. He made contact. Like, okay, well clearly. then,
1: then my mistake. Um, so he ducks the Judas effect and it leads to a brain buster. And dude, this crowd thought Shota Umino was going to pin Chris Jericho on an AEW pay-per-view. Like they had this crowd in the palm of their hands here. Mm-hmm. Umino then applies the walls of Jericho. This crowd's like, Oh, he's not going to pin him on an AEW pay-per-view. He's going to submit him on an AEW pay-per-view with his own submission. <laughs> Fuck. Guevara attacks Umino. He won't let go of the wall. So then Suzuki breaks it up. Gotch pile driver to Kingston. Umino fights off Suzuki and Guevara. And then he roars to the crowd, turns around, boom, Judas effect, and Jericho pins Umino in 19 minutes. Phenomenal, phenomenal opener. And Shota Umino, Um, this is, with all due respect to his excursion in the UK, this 19 minutes was bigger than anything he has done in this entire multi year excursion that he has been on. Uh-
0: you can argue for his entire career, like on a, on a global stage. I don't. Oh, know th- this he, was
1: the this was the biggest match he's been involved in.
0: Oh my goodness, yeah. I'll tell you what: in a match involving Eddie Kingston, Chris Jericho, Minoru Suzuki, I did not expect to come out of this thinking about Wheeler Yuta, who booking that like rolling Germans. I don't know if they expected that sort of reaction for Yuta off the top, but like the opening moments of this match with Yuta doing that to, to Jericho just felt so incredibly like magical, to be honest, like with this crowd standing on their feet for the opening, like opening, you know, spot of, of a, of a match. I think it, and it's, a lot of it had to do with the fact that, I mean, they're so different. This is Chris Jericho, the legend in Wheeler Yuta, you know, the rookie of the, 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 what is it? A uh, Blackpool combat club. Um It tells you just so much about like how much um they've done with Wheeler Yuta and how much this crowd is into this character, uh, he's like, you know, sort of the everyman. he's like, you know, like the, the guy that, um, doesn't necessarily feel, feels like he, he doesn't feel like he's on the level of a Moxley or Brian or Claudio, but he, uh, he's on his way, you know, we're following his journey anyway. It's him and also coming out of it at the end of it. It's, it's Shota Umino, somebody who has been completely off of my radar since he's left New Japan, you know, and just simply due to a lack of accessibility to his like rep pro stuff or uh, me not, not following strong. But he, they got into him. This, uh, the entire audience recognized the connection between uh, Shota Umino and John Moxley here. And they were cheering for him as if he was like Moxley's son, his, Moxley's other son. You know, and and they gave him an incredible run up to the to the end here. It's certainly the biggest match I've seen him in.
1: It, it was a very um a, a very unselfish way of of booking this match because mm-hmm. you could have built everything around getting to Jericho and Kingston. You could have made Minoru Suzuki the focal point, but instead it felt like these six. It was a concerted effort that we're going to make Yuta. And we're going to make Umino. And the result was this match um, to me did far greater than one guy's excursion that he's been on yeah. forever. And realistically, you'd have got a hell of a lot more to me out of this than the best of the super juniors from an AW side. Like, if, if you're true. an AEW viewer, you don't even know what this guy did. It was mm-hmm. like in me- in passing that he went yeah. and did this this big tournament, but didn't come out of it with, with a- any greater or lesser than he was before he left. It's true. Now, we are speaking from
0: the perspective of, of North American fans, right, who are primarily watching AEW
1: and not, uh, you know, New Japan, um, like every single New Japan show. So I'm, I'm talking about it as someone who watched both and I watched the best of the super juniors and I, I don't think he was he was booked as like, well, so, in a, do, a, a do we know name. how many people in Japan watch this show?
0: Uh, sorry, I'm just talking about what he got out of this. I'm not talking. Well, about I'm saying about like what it means to Japanese audience if they're not necessarily watching Forbidden Door.
1: Well, I'm talking about his, his booking in the best of the super juniors. Like if, if you're looking at that, okay, as...
0: you're, you're talking about booking. I guess I'm talking about like exposure as well. Like, you know, anyway. Sorry. That's fine.
1: Um, so there we go. I thought I thought it was an excellent opener. And then we get a follow up angle later in the show. FTR, Great O'Conn and Jeff Cobb and Rapongi Vice for the ROH and IWGP Tag Team Championships. They brought in Bobby Cruz and Caprice Coleman for this one. And FTR come out and they are in fact wearing your Triple A Tag Team Championships. The they Forbidden should, Belts. They should,
0: uh, yeah, yeah, interesting. So I guess, uh, talent can't appear, but the belts can.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I would love to see like the Venn diagram of what, what can cross this, uh, this imaginary line and, and what cannot. What gets approved, what does not, what's what just uh, sneaks its way through. Um, so anyway, um, Dax starts off and he hits this sliding elbow onto Rocky Romero and he's immediately favoring the shoulder and he rolls out. He immediately tags out and rolls to the floor. Doc Sampson is there to check on him and then he he is taken to the back and cash is left by himself and everyone is speculating if if he's hurt what this means for cash and they just get the heat on cash for a while there's one spot where great O'Con sits on cash's head on the turnbuckle as the close-up of cash's is. this man's ass is on top of his head mm-hmm. just demoralizing
0: yeah this uh this is a spot he's been doing and uh it's different with a reactive crowd than a clap crowd that's for sure that's right
1: i thought maybe we would get um an authentic new Japan experience tonight and some of the crowd, they would have been so smart. They would have just clapped all night.
0: I think it would, you would have seen a few more masks in the crowd too, in that case.
1: <laughs> Rafungi Vice get back into the match. There's an eliminator to Romero on the apron. Um, it all builds up to this crowd just losing their shit as Dax comes out. And he's got the shoulder taped up, very uh, Terry Funk-esque. Uh, and he tags in. They get even louder. And he goes after Ocon and Cobb. Uh, and we get another rolling German spot on this show. Not as effective as the Utah one, but nonetheless... Uh O'Connor lifts Trent into a German. They're involved here. Strong zero is hit on Cobb, but Cash it makes the save. And then there's an O'Connor roll by Rocky Romero onto Dax. O'Connor roll. Huh? A great O'Connor roll? <sighs> oh, my goodness. Yes. But here's where Paul Turner goes down. And as he's going down, he hits the mat once. But then he starts his count the second time he hits it. So it's the second time he's hitting the mat that he's yelling one, two, Mm -hmm. and the crowd can't hear him. They just see see, the arm hit three times. So they just boo this, thinking that Rocky Romero has won. He's been screwed by this Paul Turner. and This
0: this happens from time to time in wrestling, and and it's always surprising. And it's at the point now where I'm wondering if, like, referees work on it to – like do it intentionally for like that false finish you know Uh, to me it's a a negative
1: though to me it takes kind of the air out of the sails of the fans who are like taken out of the match because they think like it's a fuck-up
0: i don't necessarily think i would not be doing this intentionally especially Uh, when you like watch the replay and you can see that the contact is not being made you know with the with the with the mat but sure okay i see i can see the argument against it
1: So anyway, and then FTR comes back with the big rig onto Romero and huge reaction for this finish in 16 minutes and 25 seconds as FTR are now triple tag team champions.
0: Um, Amazing. Yeah. What a fantastic tag team match. This is one of those types of matches that I think escalates itself beyond just, you know, being a great technical in-ring match it had a story attached to it an easy to follow story and a great payoff at the end. The, the action though, every single person in the match, I thought delivered at an incredibly high level. Jeff Cobb was great. Rocky Romero was, tremendous. Romero was
1: great. Yeah.
0: Trent was awesome. I think the great old was great as well. Um, and FTR though, above all else, like this was, um, I think most, so much of the talk and the focus coming out of this bench is going to be on Dax, but it was cash Wheeler who took the bulk of it and he was excellent. Uh, it's 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 a it's a spot and an angle that's kind of been, you know, done so often, like you know, the mid match injury. But when it works, it really works. And when you have a, a team that the audience really wants to see being given a major push in a major spotlight like this, it really works. And uh this gave the crowd exactly what they wanted, you know, uh something big for FTR.
1: And, dude, FTR, the way this injury was sold, like, Dax was great. The mm-hmm. concern that Cash had was mm-hmm. very effective. Him and, stumbling to the corner and out of
0: desperation realizing his partner was in there, and so he had to tag Trent. Like, he was great. Yeah. yeah.
1: And, you know, you, it is kind of leaning into, like, uh, how plagued this show has been that I think you have an audience that is uh, very much aware of, like, all these injuries that they were, were buying this immediately. So when Dax comes out, like that was one of the larger reactions on the show. Yes. So th- this was a uh, tremendous, uh, as we're two for two on this so,
0: pay-per-view. So what's going on with that TR? Are they showing up in new Japan? They have to, they have to. And like, in terms of the schedule, like where can you see them fitting in?
1: I would, um, I would send them over to do like an angle, maybe at the, the end of the G one, like on that final night hmm. and set something up for, the fall, like those tag titles are kind of going to be idle throughout the, the G one. So it's not really anything you can capitalize on now.
0: Um, And, and how how long do you see them? Like, you know, being a part of new Japan, do they go into tag league? Do, do we see them at Tokyo? Dome?
1: I, I, I think a hundred percent you're going to have AEW involvement at the, the Tokyo Mm -hmm. dome. And I think this would suggest FTR doing the tag league would be great. I think my only hesitation is just seeing this G one lineup and our, what level are they going to part with it with a team the fact that they're putting the tag titles on them i would i would think like that's a realistic possibility and that them doing the tag league would be a great boost for that that tournament
0: but but a bit of a detriment to aew you know to have those guys out as hard as they are from the company for so long
1: yeah but i mean that's um yeah that's something you you you've got to decide upon. I mean, they have, they have so much, they have so many tag teams. You would think like they, they can spare them for four weeks, but we'll see. I thought the same for the G1. Shivani is in the back with Jay White and Juice Robinson, who has the United States title. And Juice says that Osprey versus Orange Cassidy is really just a number one contenders match. And they bring up how Juice had beat Osprey, Moxley, and Tanahashi in the same night at Capital Collision last month. And Jay White is going to do the same in this four-way tonight and win. And uh, I really thought this was going to telegraph more involvement of Juice on the show. But other than sitting in the uh, private box, this was it. We We kept Juice to a minimum.
0: We had no Bullet Club bullshit on this show. I mean, other than that. What a shock.
1: Eliminate the house of torture and evil and give crowds the ability to cheer. And New Japan felt like a super hot company tonight. And
0: I wonder how much of it is Tony Khan and like really AEW's involvement and maybe their understanding of like a lot of the crowd's um, criticisms. You know, versus- yeah, like
1: how how minimal was ghetto involved? Like the, the very yeah. least in terms of a ghetto involvement in a in a big Jay White title match. Like it was mm-hmm. it was there, but you, you blinked, you missed it. So yeah, I, I think that was probably a a concerted effort to kind of limit a lot of a, a lot of that. And on a show like this, where it kind of leans towards finishes to protect people, like they they could have gone overboard on a lot of that stuff, and it was the opposite. Clark Connors, Pack, Malachi, Black, and Miro to crown the first All-Atlantic Champion. Uh, we have Black and Pac on the floor, and Miro attacks Connors inside. Black applies a knee bar, and then Miro stops it. Uh, he applies it onto Connors, and Miro just drags Connors by the hair to the floor to break up the submission. And we have Black and Miro shoving each other. They're taking turns stomping uh, Pack, but then they have their face off, and this excites the audience to see Miro and Black finally go at it. Pack dumps Black on his head with a suplex. Connors then goes for a suplex to Miro, but he can't get it, so Black drills Miro with a boot. Black brought out a table and sets it against the guardrail, and there's this little kid who is standing right beneath this guardrail, and he's, like, moving out of the way, and there were several times on this show where I was worried about this little kid just getting rocked. Like, that Osprey spot... Where he drills uh, Cassidy, this kid's just standing right up against the guardrail.
0: You're talking about like the top right, a uh, top left, of the st- of the ring, or or another kid.
1: This was a th- this was a little kid right in front of the um like top
0: right of the screen.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: This was like was this the same kid that like Moxley like um knocked over by, by accident like when he I didn't catch entrance?
1: the kid that Moxley knocked over maybe because
0: uh he, he might have been the same kid because Moxley said uh, uh, had apologized and checked on a kid after
1: oh okay after his well entrance. I it might have been the same kid because I was worried about this kid's well being throughout the throughout the show he was like right up and these are those guardrails that boom if you're not watching you're gonna get knocked over so anyway uh Black brings out the table. Everyone is trying to put someone through the table and it ends with Clark Connors spearing Miro. And this was the place they go wild for Clark Connors who gets the, who gets the big hit on Miro. <laughs> then he spears pack in the ring and hits the trophy kill, but black makes the save. Miro comes back and he throws everyone off with a tower of doom. And then we just get um, black and Connors to the floor. Machka kicked a pack. Game over, but then Pac fights the rope. He reapplies it in the center, and in comes Malachi Black, and he hits Miro with the Black Mist and hits him with the Black Mass. That's the end of him. Connors gets caught in a flying armbar, and with the armbar, Pac comes off the top with a black arrow onto Black, breaking up the submission, so that takes out Malachi, and he applies the Brutalizer to Connors. Just a tremendous ending to this match, and Pac represents... The Atlantic Ocean, a man with an actual claim to it. He holds this title and kind of uh, someone that was definitely uh, due for something. Mm -hmm. And we'll see what this championship becomes. But you're putting it on seriously one of the better guys in a company that is stacked with talent.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, Pac is somebody who was uh one of the original signees to this company. And, you know, due, due to various issues with, uh and, and an entire pandemic keeping him away from this place, I feel like he would have, um, he should have received this moment, if not a bigger moment uh in the AEW landscape a whole lot sooner. But it's great to see that, that they haven't forgotten about him, despite the fact that you have arguably bigger stars in the company now in Miro and uh, Malachi Black who were my my picks to win above pack you know pack is great but i just didn't necessarily know if like aew still had a a a prominent position for him as a top guy when there are so many bigger names it's great to see that they they still consider that that he does have a lot more stardom within him um it was an an absolutely incredible match as i think like any sort like these are the guys that are kind of in the mid card in aew Any combination of of, of these two, like, you know, we're talking about the rest of the death triangle and the rest of the House of Black is always, always, always fantastic Uh, and and just incredibly intricate here with so many of the different sequences and the speed and the intensity. Miro fits in here so nicely. He, He looks incredible. Black looked very dominant. You know, Clark Connors ended up being ultimately more of a ping pong ball for everybody else here, although he did get his spot, and I think he deserves a lot of credit for stepping in here, you know, really like as a replacement, I'll be lying. If I said, I wasn't thinking about what Tomohiro Ishi would have looked like in the mix here. Cause I think that would have been just amazing. But I think, you know, considering how la- last minute it was like Clark Connors, I thought did a very good job.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, he was, he was in a really tough spot being put into this. Um, not, not a big star, but got, you know, uh, several moments in this match to at least have something coming out of it. And the thing I am most excited about coming out of this, yes, Pac's going to have some terrific matches, but Miro and his promo yeah. after taking the Black Mist, I can't Ooh. wait. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Man. Is that a future feud? It like has a- to be. This was totally set up for Malachi and
0: Miro to have something coming out of this with the Mist. So are they done with like Death Triangle and has a Black now?
1: Um, I mean, it's always something they, I guess, can, can revisit, but I, I think for sure you're going to have Miro and Malachi doing something after this or else yeah. you, you don't do a finish like that.
0: I, I can't wait for those promos.
1: Oh, I hope he keeps the mist like there. It's scarred to his face. Yeah. Lovely. Tony Schiavone comes out and he joins commentary. He's pretty much just here so he can introduce Sting and be on commentary for one match. So. When he announces Sting, his music is playing, but he doesn't come out. So we go to the Bucks, who come out with El Phantasmo and Hikuleo, and the lights go out again, and they put a spotlight in the rafters, and then they go to the entrance tunnel, and there is Sting on top of the tunnel, and jumps off top, new Jack himself. So this is just like his thing. He just jumps off high shit now.
0: Yeah. They I mean, for for several of the the other matches that we've seen him, they've saved it for like a significant, significant spot in the match. This time they started the match with that. I thought it was like the perfect way to add some variation to it, like sent the crowd into a frenzy right away.
1: Yeah. And Darby nailed Hikuleo with the skateboard to explain him being uh, temporarily out of the out of uh, the corner for for the Bucks and Fantasmo. So uh, Kelly mentions how Takagi and El Fantasma will be in the same block together in the G1. He was also trying very hard to get Los Stingonables de Japon over.
0: Los Stingo Bernables. and Hmm. Yeah. yeah it's, a, it's a worthy shot. It's one I think you a know, for effort, yes. we would have come up with.
1: Yeah, uh, Sting and Takagi are working together delivering sentons onto El Phantasmo. Sting just interacting with any, any life forms is entertaining at this point. Like I different think people, yeah. New
0: friendship goals here between sting and Shingo, Stingo, 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 my, my new favorite, uh, dudes with attitudes.
1: Uh, Matt does this just ridiculous setup for the back rake, like his most ridiculous to date with the multiple cartwheels and hand spins and gets a pop when he finally delivers the back rake to Darby Allen. Um, Excalibur goes over the history of Takagi and the Young Bucks in Dragon Gate and PWG. And then Nick and Takagi are in real brief. Uh, Fantasmo does a spot where he grabs Sting's nipples. Let mm-hmm. me rewind. Phantasmo does a spot where he grabs Sting's nipples, and Sting no sold his nipples and hit a stinger splash to Phantasmo and, and Matt, and then to both Bucks. Sting has like teamed
0: with ro- Robocop. He's seen some crazier shit than this.
1: Hikuleo gets involved, and Phantasmo punches Sting in the balls. So the Bucks hit double super kicks to all three. Sting eats the super kicks and he just fires back no sells these these super kicks and hits the double clothesline there's a coffin drop onto the to the knees of Matt and uh, Darby gets hit with the more bang for your buck and a thunder kiss 86 bucks hit Tope Suicidas fantasma does his rope walk into a Asai moonsault from the top and then Sting goes for a dive but he is stopped with a triple super kick the Bucks go for the BTE trigger Sting Duck, so they connect knees, and he hits them with double Scorpion Death Drops, and then grabs Fantasmo's nipples and kicks him in the balls behind Rick Knox's back, if you can keep up with this. <laughs> Cough and drop onto a standing Hikuleo on the floor. Takagi hits Fantasmo with a pumping bomber, lifts him up for Main Japan, but then decides, no, we're going for Last of the Dragon, and he hits it, pins Fantasmo in 1308, and Shivani... He exits, and we get a triple fisting with the winners. Los Stingables no de hapon. are one and <laughs> all really as a trios unit. Another hell of a match, I have to say. This was like your fun sting match, um, so fun. and and we didn't even like we haven't even talked since um, Saturday when Hiromu, uh yeah. got a fever. He couldn't travel, so they had to turn this into a trios match with Horomu uh, out. It was like at that point, it was like. You can't
0: even be disappointed because, like, you knew there was going to be some other change to this card, and that we would lose one of the, you know, more, um, uh, I think, you know, crowd favorited uh, wrestlers. Probably what
1: every fan thought when Sting didn't come out to his music. They're like, oh no. What
0: (laughs) what happened? Another injury. (laughs) Uh, But I'm not leaving this match with any sort of disappointment because it was absolutely fantastic. And I think so much of my enjoyment came down to how they continue to make Sting feel so incredibly special and so, so just, uh, I don't know, like unique in a sea of like, you know, uh, in a roster that's like half his age, how they still manage to make him like feel so spectacular uh, in ring, uh, working around so many of his limitations. And let's be honest, like, I mean, at this point, I wonder what, like, there are still definitely limitations, but what he can do, like jumping off a tall shit um that's more than enough and they're they're maximizing all of this guy's value and everything that he can do like giving him like a a super kick no sell spot for instance you know it 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 just kind of completely lights this crowd up and i think it's more of a you know it's it's thing is impressive certainly like coming back from spinal stenosis and at at, at his age but the booking <laughs> which is like,
1: nuts when you pair crazy. those like either of those things on their own is nuts and yeah. you put them together here's the 63 year old coming back with spinal stenosis and he's and i i'd i'd really be curious like what his process is like when he knows he's got a match coming up, how much time does he need to get ready for it? And what's the, on the other side of it, the recovery period, like this is his fourth match this year. As I'm looking this up, he had one in January, which was Darby and sting against the acclaimed. Then there was the tornado match at revolution, which was insanity. And then several weeks later was that tornado match on TV that had Jeff doing the swanton off the, uh, off the ledge in the lobby and then this one so he hasn't had a match in 3 months before before tonight
0: yeah yeah but you know these matches are crazy because of everything else that's going on around the match too and we just maybe happen to think about the things sting spot cuz they make it the most memorable spot of the match and it also in many cases is you know just again seeing this a person of his age his star star level um doing some of this stuff it, it, it's just it's it's weird but incredibly effective and the crowd reactions are almost always incredibly intense. So Sting continues to just be a highlight and that's you know, that's a that's a credit to not just the performer, but also the people that are putting these matches together and participating in them with him. I love seeing ELP here with the Bucks. I I mean, just watching, I think, you know, Phantasmo in New Japan, he feels very much like a bit of a reincarnation of the Bucks in, in their bowl club forms. And to kind of see the three of them together, their personalities mesh perfectly. So it was fun.
1: Then they announced their return to Arthur Ashe Stadium on September 21st for Grand Slam, where they will do Dynamite and Rampage, uh, from, uh, f- from New York City again. And on the broadcast, we did not get an announcement for All Out, although there was like a banner inside mm-hmm. of the arena that you could see that was promoting Sunday, September 4th for All Out, but mm-hmm. no official like commercial or announcement about their next pay per view. No, but the fact that the, you know they put such a big banner
0: in a Chicago arena, like I feel like all but tells you, hey, like expect this in Chicago. You
1: know? Yes, and what what do you expect for Arthur Ashe Stadium the second time around? Do you see it being like a similar level of uh, like amount of tickets that they sell?
0: I do. Yeah, I mean, this feels like in many cases like the biggest dynamite of the year, right? Um, how many people does it sit, John? Like. Um, I, like, nine, like they did, they did around 20, like close to 20, right? Over,
1: over mm-hmm. 20, over 20. Wow. As I recall,
0: I mean, that's bigger than many of these pay-per-views. So I, I definitely think you would expect a, a, title match and yeah, something significant for Claudio Castagnoli.
1: Yeah, that's right. I'm just looking it up here. 21,177 is what they drew. 18,300 paid. Mm-hmm. was what they did last September for that. So that, that's kind of the numbers that you're shooting for. That was also the hottest month in the history of AEW. In Punk. Uh, you had Punk. That month. Yes, exactly. Right after his, his arrival and Danielson and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Shivani's with Shota Umino, and he's interrupted by Jericho and 2.0. Jericho says that Umino earned his respect, and as Menard and Parker are talking to him, Jericho hits him with a fireball and leaves him. <sighs> this was good like i thought I, I, I feel gonna we're gonna it. get jericho and umino on on tv potentially I, I, if umino is around and like to do it you know in a week or two if,
0: if new japan is smart they will loan Shota umino for his second excursion to aew because they will make a star out of that guy in ways that new japan cannot
1: can you okay. guys also take master wato and redo because yeah. that didn't go according <laughs> to can take you guys just allies. fix them <laughs> That's another- this guy, I don't know what the hell happened to this guy because he used to be fantastic.
0: <laughs> it's another interesting question, actually. The the idea of like young line excursions to AEW in the future that that's a possibility now. You would think.
1: Um, I I think so. If if, if it's opened up, and the way it used to be for ROH.
0: Yeah. yeah,
1: I mean, you'd probably be restricted to like a lot of dark matches, and then you know, hopefully, they can get booked on other indies and stuff. Like, it's not a mm-hmm. place you're going to get you know tons of. Um, exposure on television but you know you you can do dark matches you can do other indies like there is a certainly a scene to be had over here thunder rosa against tony storm for the women's championship it started slow and and taz was very into the slow start and talking about how much he loves us. and it was it was actually like very good he was just talking about like the strategy uh, of each they're trading slaps and forums as it starts to heat up and Rosa's in control but starts to get frustrated when Tony kicks out of a Northern light suplex and Rosa blocks a tornado DDT off the apron and they kind of just like, get onto the floor and then she turns it into a northern lights and then several moments later like they go through a few more moves and then tony goes back to the tornado ddt on the floor so i don't know if they were supposed to hit it the first time but it was pretty seamless it was a good were. recover if it, if it
0: was a mess <laughs> up like the, the, they didn't the just northern do it lights. immediately
1: like they did a whole set of like moves and then went back to it so it's like you're yeah. not really um,
0: like the northern at lights it. seemed instantaneous to the point where i felt like it was intentional so i didn't even question it
1: Thunder Rosa got a fire Thunder driver with a near fall and she's stunned. She kicks away at Tony's shoulder and then catches a kick and a German to Thunder Rosa and she can't lift her up for the Storm Zero because of her shoulder. And then all of a sudden Thunder Rosa just hits uh, Dustin Rhodes final reckoning and pins Tony Storm at 10 minutes and 41 seconds retaining the championship. Uh, I I thought this was a good match. I I think you could see like, like the audience was not into this as they had been some of the previous matches with the stars. But, um, the only thing I I saw is like the, the ending just kind of came abruptly for me. I mean the, yeah, the
0: final reckoning, I don't, I don't think is a move she's known for, at least to my knowledge, you know, I don't know if this was like kind of her way of just, you know, establishing, Hey, this is my big finisher, unless she's won with it before. And I just haven't realized Uh, I could be wrong, but, um, Crowd didn't necessarily react as big for it, I think, as the Fire Thunder driver, which is a devastating looking move, especially the way Tony Storm took it. Like I had I was really scared. Like it's basically like it's like the Rikishi driver type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh and it's a very scary landing. So um maybe that got the bigger reaction, but I really enjoyed the match. You know, and when we're talking about like the AEW women's roster, this is one of the more high-level matches that you are going to get in terms of star power, in terms of in-rank experience. And I thought these two absolutely delivered. In particular, Thunder Rosa, who looked to me on a different level of intensity and aggression in this match. She was on fire, and I thought everything she did looked awesome. Um, and another of course, great uh, uh, walkout outfit. Yes, another one. Yeah, absolutely. She goes uh, all out for these pay-per-views. Well, last time it was to uh, raise funds. Right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I I wouldn't be surprised if this is, you know, something tied into it. Like this is a really mm-hmm. uh, impressive looking outfit. She had Great looking out. outfits. But I mean,
0: obviously it took an opponent on the other end, like a Tony storm, who again, I think is incredibly compelling to watch. These were two people who were not afraid to hit, hit, hit each other incredibly hard. And uh, on a show that is very much based in uh strong style, professional wrestling. I think they were very welcome. Um, I, it was one of the like pay-per-view, you know, women's uh, title defenses that I think I've really enjoyed. So to me, Rosa feels like she's actually starting to enter the ter- territory where she feels like the lead actress in this company, rather than just somebody holding the belt next to Britt Baker. Um, where do you think Tony Storm goes after this?
1: I I hope they have some kind of program in mind because like I I really hope that she's not just the challenger of the month and now takes this background role. Cause I I Mm. think that's kind of, you know, where some of the women's challengers have found themselves. Like you get your, your four to six week program, then you have the title match and then it's, you you disappear for a while and it's kind of until your number gets called again, you're sort of forgotten about. So I'm, I'm hoping that like Tony Storm should be a regular and uh, whether that's finding, uh, something involving Jade or, but like the baddies kind of have their thing going now with Athena and Chris Statlander. So mm-hmm. that becomes the, the like, I, I don't see much of a continuation with this, with, with Thunder Rosa. This was, they didn't really have much of a story going into this other than, you know, storm she grabbed was- the belt. She had earned a title shot and she was, she's the next challenger. That was mm-hmm. the story.
0: Yeah. I, I think she's a big enough star that you can do a storyline even without a championship. And I'd like to see AEW do a lot more of that, you know, stories without, just t- for either
1: title, Jim Ross comes out for the next match, and Kevin Kelly proclaims, my old boss and he sits down and uh, Jim Ross was on here for the uh, the final four matches he,
0: he, yeah Taz's old boss too, of course he, Taz said um a lot of people's old boss,
1: not excalibur's old boss. No, I don't think so. Excalibur was his own boss Oh uh, yeah, that's right. So it's Will Ospreay and Orange Cassidy for the IWGP United States Championship. Osprey is out with Aussie Open. And Kevin Kelly is explaining the whole United States title situation with Juice Robinson. And JR says, how about we start talking about the wrestling that we're about to see? Point taken and we're moving on to the match. Enough <laughs> of this backstory. Looks- I what mean, in fu- fairness, it is pretty confusing <laughs> if you have not. Been paying attention and all this <laughs> stuff. Why does Juice have the title that he lo- that he is not the champion of? He's talking about the appendicitis it's, and everything. It's con-
0: it is confusing, but I think I, I think it deserves to be at least you know mentioned, don't you think? Like, why is he not holding the belt, and why are you showing Juice Robinson? Well, it's a long
1: story, and I don't think it's a great story. So, uh-huh, I mean, yeah. it's like okay, yep, this is all it. And uh, Jim Ross, he had to keep us on time. Okay, there's only so much satellite time. It,
0: it's it's been. I mean, if if this show has been plagued with injuries, this championship is you know has been plagued just as much. So yeah, yeah you don't uh,
1: you don't want this title. So, uh, Juice. Uh, El Phantasmo and Hikuleo were showing, uh, watching in, in the box, uh, but that that was their involvement. Cassidy starts with his hands in the pockets and then does a multiple revolution tilt-a-whirl head scissors, sending Will to the floor, and then he does Will's pose in the center uh, in, in his way, which was very uh, funny. Osprey this is where he runs around the ring and he blasts Cassidy into the guardrail just insane and then it's it's will in control for a long period of time he puts him in an abdominal stretch and he reaches down and puts his hand in Cassidy's pocket and then pulls it out and he's got the middle finger for the crowd like oh that's so mean and he's getting all this heat from the crowd. Cassidy puts his hands back in his pockets and lands the drop kick. And he does his version of the Kawada kicks like these light <laughs> Kawada kicks. But then he <laughs> fires up and hits him with the real ones. And Taz is explaining. It's not about not trying to hurt you. It's psyching you out to like I- explain this.
0: I like that. We've gotten to the point where this like indie GCW, like one note gimmick, um, like is being, like explained and justified as strategy by Taz you know great yeah
1: they do this in judo all the time sure yeah yeah exactly uh he bashes Will's head into the corner camera where it just goes black cuz we're we're from the perspective of like the 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 corner cam they knocked the camera out yeah dislodged like, it It's like, I can't believe we haven't seen this done before, but it was... Those uh, things are expensive. That's why. I guess you go all out on on your big pay-per-view here. And then Cassidy pretends to be hurt while Will is still on the turnbuckle getting his bearings. And he goes for a moonsault, misses, tries another one, misses, and then hits a standing shooting star, goes off the turnbuckle. And this sequence ends with a beach break for a near fall.
0: My mind was blown here, okay? Like... At the, at the, like this, whatever psychology there was supposed to be. Cause like, I don't know exactly why, like, why was, uh, like, why was, uh, Orange Cassidy lying down? Was he going for like an, he was going for like some sort of Eddie Guerrero thing, right?
1: Yeah. I think the idea was that he was going to like play possum. Um, and then but he still, he still got kind of outsmarted cause he hit, got hit with this shooting star press, but then Osprey went back onto the turnbuckle and then landed on the knees. So, so that's, I guess,
0: this is the brilliance, John. This was a mini chess game that we saw. So here we have orange Cassidy thinking, I'm going to outsmart this guy using the Eddie Guerrero trick. Will Osprey is saying, oh, he's going for the Eddie Guerrero trick. I'm going to go for a double jump salt. So when he moves oh, out so of the way, I'm going to hit he him the second he time. thought he knew. He knew. obviously. Oh, okay. Yeah. He planned for the double jump, insult, and then when when Cassidy avoided the second jump, he went for the third, like with the shooting star press. And then even after that, he goes back up top, and then Orange Cassidy gets the last laugh by, you know, getting well, the knees up.
1: By your definition, based on, on that observation and the fact that Cassidy ducked the hidden blade, both guys have eyes in the back of their head. The, the, completely, Yes. So then he, Orange Cassidy leaps into a cutter. There's an Os cutter for a two. The crowd is going electric by this point. Cassidy ducks the hidden blade. The Stormbreaker gets countered into a Rana where Cassidy hooks the legs. The crowd totally buys into it. And then Osprey hits the hidden blade and Cassidy kicks out and they go, they lose their minds on this kick out. And like the hidden blade, like they have, will start to have like kickouts for the mm-hmm. hidden blade but it's still a finisher that everyone bites on and mm-hmm. then finishes him with the stormbreaker in 16 minutes and 47 seconds. At this point I'm watching this I'm like th- this is like show of the year candidate.
0: Yeah. Yeah, in succession all of these matches on the main card um I think this might have been my match of the night, John. Like this was incredible. I think it might have
1: been a lot of people's.
0: It-, it was incredibly fast and a great reminder that none of us should be looking down on Orange Cassidy simply because of his gimmick. Underneath the gimmick is an incredible professional wrestler, and he proved it here with Will Ospreay. I mean, yes, he was he was up against like, you know, the 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 Mercedes uh, of of you know professional wrestlers in Will Ospreay. but I think you can really appreciate Orange Cassidy because like they perfected his gimmick. In that, like, they only bring it out in small enough doses to still, you know, make him uh, uh, memorable, while at the same time never taking away from his babyface fire, his great comebacks, and his appeal as a serious threat. Um, might have been the best Orange Cassidy
1: match I've seen. This was excellent. It was just a tremendous match. My <laughs> This is one of my favorite lines, maybe on any broadcast this whole year. So Aussie Open run out and they're attacking Osprey. Or sorry, they're attacking Cassidy. And they tear his jean pockets. And Jim Ross goes as if he can't buy more jeans. Oh, fuck. <laughs> and he lets it pause. <laughs> symbolic. <laughs> this is symbolic. <laughs> As if he can't go and buy more I
0: think, jeans. I think Jim Ross would be a great heel commentator for AEW for GCW. Like he should be. He should go to GCW and be the heel commentator, like making fun of every all this bullshit. Him calling like the 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 clusterfuck would be the
1: best thing in the world. I do not see an invisible man. <laughs> yeah. Oh goodness vice <laughs> then run down and they make the save and then all of a sudden they hear the music and dude this place loses their mind it's Katsuyori Shibata and he comes out and dude just kills Mark Davis and Kyle Fletcher on the ramp and he gets into the ring with Osprey and they start to go at it and he drills this dude with a pump kick Boots Davis off of the apron and a baseball slide drop kick to Osprey applies the rear naked choke when Aussie open pull Will to the floor and leave as Shibata is just sitting there cross legged, and Orange Cassidy comes into the ring. They have a face to face and he puts the 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 glasses onto Shibata and Cassidy does the thumbs pose and and Shibata really liked this. He was like totally into it. Guy smiled. <laughs> Did he smile? He smiled because they cut away and then they were like, go back, go back. There's more. And Shibata was just kind of like playing it up and stuff with, with Cassidy in the ring.
0: I don't know how much playing up there was, though, because yeah, this whole thing at the end was a little bit confusing. First of all, like what a reaction, you know, and, and what a wonderful surprise for, for this crowd to see, like somebody who is rarely seen in a professional
2: wrestling.
1: It was kind of the aesthetic. only like other than what we'll get to the next match. But mm-hmm. um, in, in terms of like. Someone showing up as a surprise. Like, you know, we 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 had the the talk about do you do something with punk on this show or an omega? And they left it to Shibata. Like this was kind of your lone, kind of unadvertised appearance of someone notable.
0: And I wonder if this one was simply like, Oh, Shibata's hanging out in the back anyway with all la Dojo guys. Um, Tony Khan maybe just like, Do you want to do something with uh Orange Cassidy? <laughs> I don't know, that'll be fun. And he just comes out, they got the got his music and Great moment
1: here. This felt like an angle they were shooting with Osprey, though.
0: You're well. right. Yeah, yeah. So maybe there's more to it. Like they did but, enough here.
1: Uh, uh, though, as as history has dictated, yeah. Shibata sometimes is uh, can play fast and loose and and set up matches that have no intention of being made.
0: So absolutely, there's that. And that's what I was wondering about with this awkwardness in this Orange Cassidy exchange here. Like I think in AEW's mind or in the announcer's mind or Tony Khan's mind, this segment was to end with the sunglasses. And then for whatever reason, like Shibata calls Orange Cassidy back into the ring. And then like we cut back to it and it's like, I don't know if like Cassidy knew what was going on. They didn't. It's not like they posed again. It, it, like Shibata almost ended up looking disappointed that Cassidy didn't want to engage in something. Like did Shibata just want to like fight more or something like that? Um, go rogue? <laughs> like on, on an AEW Slap show? Me. Yeah, I don't know. This part was a bit weird,
1: but interesting. Wow. Zack Sabre Jr. comes out, and then the music plays and out comes Claudio Castagnoli to um, just a thunderous, thunderous reaction. And he's got a new theme uh, that Mikey Ruckus described as 1812 Overture meets Andrew W.K. And this theme is called Uppercut Swing Swingfiny.
0: Okay, interesting. Yes, I'll get used to it.
1: What did you think of uh, the, the reaction here that he got? This was huge.
0: You know, despite the fact that I think everybody knew what was going on, um, it reminded me very much of the CM Punk thing. You know, like everybody knew it, but once it happened and you got to see the visual the confirmation, this crowd reacted as big as I think if it was a surprise. Um, it still brings the, to mind the question like whether or not they should have announced beforehand, like whether or not it would have ultimately helped the buy rate a bit more. Or if like keeping him a surprise was it had other benefits that we're not necessarily thinking about.
1: If if the buys come in low, do do you think that that would like like let's say it's it's something like one ten, okay?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: D- do you think like Claudio would have made enough of a difference, or do you think that the surprise and that that intrigue meant meant more now that we have yeah. seen what what it all t- ultimately was?
0: Uh, his name is interesting because, like, I don't think he—he's certainly not at the level of star of a of a Brian or a CM Punk, you know, in WWE. So, like, how big of an attraction to the mainstream is he going to be? But is he the difference between, like, you know, one ten to one thirty-five, for instance, for like a you know a diehard AEW fan? Maybe I don't. It, it's hard for me to say.
1: Yeah, like, yeah, uh, I I think there's a way you could have set it up on Wednesday that this would have been really an, like one of the bigger things on, it, going into the show that you knew. But at the same time, if if I'm someone that's been following all this, and by Wednesday, I'm not buying this pay per view, yeah. I don't know if that announcement is changing my mind.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, good point.
1: But it's uh, like that's what you're debating here. Like the the surprise we we've seen, like that that intrigue. Sometimes it, it does work. But this is also a company that has done it quite quite a bit.
0: Also, the speculation of like who it's going to be, I think, is always fun. Like, it, and it's always good for just people talking about your show. I
1: imagine. Yeah, well, th- this one to me it was like it was two names for most people, and mm-hmm. I don't think it was going to be anyone else. Uh, but
0: we were still asking the question, you know, like who is it going to be? Like,
1: and Shibata runs out and makes it a three-way.
0: <laughs> that him in the Blackpool Combat Club, him in a Blood and Guts, yeah, I would sign up for that. He's already faced Zach once, you know. This is a rematch. This would yeah. be a rematch. Yeah. So
1: it's it's a huge reaction he receives, and then they started off running European uppercut and a bomb. And he gets a two count and I'm sure there are people that thought, man, they're just going the to have
0: the neutralizer. Actually, it was the, the, the WWE. You,
1: you're right. You're right. This yeah. was the, the neutralizer and they called yeah. it the, the recall bomb and gets the two count and the crowd is just amped right away thinking that it was going to end that quickly. And Claudio runs into the rail, missing the European uppercut. So, Zach goes after the knee. He applies a Fujiwara. He's twisting at the arm and applies a triangle. Pretty much whatever Claudio would go to do, Zach just had a submission ready and was just going to wear this guy down. And he applies this triangle. They go over the top rope and Zach keeps it applied. So, then eventually Claudio, with the triangle applied... And this is doable. I did this all the time in jiu-jitsu. <laughs> sure. Walked up the steps with the triangle and then just dumps them into the ring.
0: <laughs> I would love to show this spot to like an MMA like analyst. Like I would show this to Robin Black and be like, can you, uh, what do you think of this? No, I'm not. And I'm not joking. Like I'm not
1: shitting on it. It was awesome. Like you're taking. Exactly. The- and I think you and me are probably going to have the exact same point here way is that some of the people who get like so up in arms about like realism. Yeah. This is not realistic and it was fucking very cool fun, and creative and And, and no one no one was complaining about this being uh, (sighs) unrealistic and it just shows you like a character like a Claudio uh, can do stuff like this and a guy like an Orange Cassidy he has to do so much more that he has to get over this stigma with people and it's just it's silly. I'll tell you why it's
0: I think everybody should be impressed by this. It's because it's an incredibly impressive physical feat to lift somebody like with one arm, like to even lift somebody in a triangle position is it requires a great deal of strength to first of all, successfully complete the roll over the top rope while still keeping the position is incredible to pick them up again and walking through the walking up the steps to throw the guy out like is is mind blowing and, and just so incredibly like fun You know,
1: maybe Zach's got to work on his triangle, though. That that is a conclusion you can come to. Fine. Sure. Claudio calls for the swing, uh, but Zach goes to a guillotine. And this was great, the way they just teased the swing, and Zach was constantly avoiding it. And as Zach applies the octopus, Bryce is counting, and Kevin Kelly brings up that Zach knows that Bryce is not going to call for a, a disqualification here. So he can just keep going. And Excalibur brings up, I know that Claudio has a New Japan World subscription. He knows all about Zach. And the crowd boos as Zach continues to avoid the swing and finally hits it. And the crowd starts to count, but then he has to let go because of his arm. So he's, he, he is selling the, the effects of the submissions. And he goes for a sharpshooter. It's countered to a heel hook. Claudio goes back to the sharpshooter into a double stomp. And then Zach is using up kicks, attacks the arm, and traps it. Goes to the mat, and it's there's a rope break. And we get kicks to the chest of Claudio, and he just eats them over and over. Going for yes kicks. As yeah. A, as a shout
0: out to yeah. As a shot at the Brian.
1: Yeah. As Zach is hitting him with them. And then the first attempt at, at the Ricola bomb is countered into a European clutch for a two count pop up uppercut and then discus lariat and hits the Ricola bomb in 18 minutes and 28 seconds. And Claudio wins his AEW debut.
0: Oh, great match. And if this was people's match with the Men, I, I would totally understand. This had sort of like the freshness and the specialness attached to it of, you know, I think the great debuts in, you know, um a, 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 a long time ago for somebody like Claudio. I think so often we we think of like is it it seems kind of rare that we get like debut matches that are complete surprises, right? Usually people come in. They'll have like a little segment. They'll like show their face. They might cut a promo but for a guy to just step in and to step in in a you know, very much a dream match scenario here between Claudio and, and Zach.
1: This was like their version of like the closest of like Seth and Cody this year that you could compare it to sure, like a yeah. match that had no build up, and they mm-hmm. had to come out. And like I said, when that match happened, like when you debut, it's sort of like everyone gets it out of their system, the surprise pop, but yeah. then you've got to get them a second time for a mm-hmm. match. And they went 18 here, just yeah. like Cody and Seth went long. That's why I was so impressed with the mania match that they had a, a tremendous match. And that's after like this crowd spent themselves on just the big pop that, Oh my God, Cody's here. This was the yeah. same with, with Claudio here. And then you, you had to keep them uh, like really engaged for another Mm -hmm. 18 and a half minutes.
0: You certainly do have the crowd on your side when they're already interested and engaged in the match. But I mean, for that reason, pressures are arguably that much bigger, you know, for you to not just deliver a good match, but a great match. And I thought these two did that. It was a wonderful way to debut Claudio Castagnoli on such a big stage. He comes out of this looking like such a big deal. Um, And you know, uh, he looked amazing, you know, fully unleashed here going against another person who's like, if there's any disappointment in me, it's that it's the fact that I'm a Zach fan and that like some of the specialness to like Brian versus Zach has been taken away a little bit because, well, hey, his buddy beat him. Right. But still, like this was a match that I don't think he would have had. You could have had any other finish. But like, you know, having Claudio debut to win. I, Zach was I think you
1: this was a really hard match to, to book knowing mm-hmm. the match you want to get to. And what were your options here? Like beating yeah. Claudio to me was not the answer because you've mm-hmm. got blood and guts this week and he's the new, the, the new debuting star. I think once we get to Danielson and Zack Sabre Jr., I yeah. think everyone's interest will be at the exact same level. It was before this one. I'm not too concerned about that, but, but it was an issue going, going into this one. Um, then, um, backstage uh claudio was interviewed and uh, yoshihashi walked in and welcomed him uh here to chicago and then claudio hit him with a fireball and said (laughs) i'm taking your spot in the g1 i was like okay perfect now everything's perfect he's also Uh... a wizard could you have imagined that was honestly Uh... the first thing i thought when this gate this guy came out i was like how can this guy get into the g1
0: you know um I'm guessing for guys like him, um, he probably wants to maximize his bump card, you know, for the remainder of his career. And is G one the, the most necessary thing for his career at this point?
1: Uh, we will see what his um, what what his um frequency is going to be. Yeah. He's got another match on Wednesday, so we will see how it, how he uh, turns things around. IWGP title match was a second from the top with Jay White, Kazuchika Okada, Adam Cole, and Hangman Page enormous reaction for okada he came out here and it was just deafening uh Mm -hmm. for his entrance in particular and uh ghetto is out with jay white and we've got uh new japan legend rick knox as the fifth man in the ring for this for this match i think
0: yeah why was he doing this one i I mean he is like one of their lead referees but
1: not like it, it was just strange because they've gone so out of their way for R- all the ROH title matches to have the authentic uh, people. And for for this, it was, um, yeah, it just seemed like uh, a little odd not having uh, a new Japan referee for an IWGP title match. But nonetheless, um, the bell rings. This crowd is chanting, holy shit. So it's like for, for all the, uh, the complaints about this four way and some of them were valid. Like This crowd, they treated this like a massive match to them yes. with the four once it began, mm-hmm. and it really elevated the whole feel of it. Like For, for big title matches, I'm not a big fan of uh, multi-man three-ways, four-ways, uh, but that's what you got here. Cole suggests that him and Jay White work together, stating it's the only chance that we'll have, so we got a bit of them double-teaming uh, until Adam Cole would finally uh, turn on him. Um you know, midway through the match. Okada did his running cross body onto white and Cole over the barricade. Uh, Page did a moonsault and was caught with Cole's super kick. These two have an incredible amount of trust with one another to do this spot over and over again.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And hit him
1: flush. It looked like, <laughs> for all of the fanfare that okada received on wednesday and coming out tonight and when it started he applied this money clip to adam cole and dude this is the coldest move in the world this crap not one person reacted to the money clip this is a crowd that like reacted for desperado
0: el desperado as if he he was a big star so like this is the crowd that's familiar with what's been going on in, in new japan and they don't give a fuck. This is about the stupid uh, money clip thing. It's 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 he, he, I'm glad to see he's kind of moved on from it as like, you know, like his closing sequence move at least.
1: I think everyone associates the money clip with Balloon Era Okada. And it's just an yeah. era they they would rather forget. Yeah. Other than the pants, the pants was uh, you know, met I think semi favorably. Uh, the alliance ends when Cole hits White with a backstabber and Ushiguroshi, and then White hits the uh, the Hase Uranagi and a sleeper suplex. Then he hits one to Okada, one to Hangman. K- Cole hits the boom. Okada dropkick, and it ends with a Paige discus lariat, so all four are down. Orihara moonsault to Cole and Okada on the floor, and then Paige sets up for the buckshot when Ghetto grabs him by the leg, and he just drops Ghetto, and that was all we had of Ghetto. He just got punched, and he was dead. White ducks the buckshot and there's a blade runner that gets avoided. Page hits the dead eye and sets up again for the buckshot, hits it, and this time it's Okada making the save. Okada and Page are alone in the ring and the buckshot gets stopped when Cole yanks Page to the floor and sends him into the post and Okada hits a big elbow off the top to Cole. Does the Rainmaker pose and Cole obliterates Okada and Page with super kicks and gets hit with two drop kicks himself, the landslide, and then Cole Is getting set up for the Rainmaker and he just kind of collapses rather than taking the Rainmaker. He ducks He Like he does like the Kenny, you know, duck
0: slash collapse. Like it almost looked intentionally like he was ducking it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But I mean it it looked like Cole here was, you know, rocked here from, from something. And he just goes down and White comes in and just hits Okada with the Rainmaker, but then pulls Cole and pins him. And they just end it at 21 minutes and one second. And it is, uh, I, I guess people were, we didn't get to see it on camera, but those there w- were, you know, it, it looked like Adam Cole was hurt here at the end, but did leave uh, on, a, on his own power. Because the way the finish, like you would have thought it would have gone would be he takes the Rainmaker, mm-hmm. White comes in and Blade Runner to Okada and then pins Cole. And Cole yeah. is the one who takes the cover, but was not hit with the Rainmaker.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It was confusing. It confused everybody at home, certainly confused everybody watching live. You could see it. It was a very unfortunate, flat, confusing ending to what was otherwise a tremendous fatal four-way match.
1: It was very good. And I mean, I I think you have a lot of sympathy when there's, you know, potential injury here that, you know, probably through this whole finish out of whack
0: so we are doing this, this show right after uh it ended so we're we're not able to like you know uh see any comments that might have been said but um if you guys do find out before we do uh, please let us know in the chat room if uh tony khan or anybody else said anything official about what exactly happened here but um just talking about the match itself i'll be the first to say that i was wrong about the appeal of this four way. I was somebody who was wanting, you know, a singles match. I think for on on paper, you always want like a title to be defended in more of a singles capacity, but I'm also not taking into account that it's these four. I also don't love Kazuchika Okada singles title defenses that I've seen often go way too long with his type of style that I've gotten very sick of. So to see Kazuchika Okada in this fatal four-way setting, which New Japan never does, in a pace that is nonstop... Has no time for rest spots except for that little bit of a money clip and has great storytelling in the form of like, you know, uh, Jay and Cole wanting to team up together, in Paige and Okada just wanting to face each other. Um, This whole thing, as like an American style multi man match, was wonderful. And I thought, like, used Okada's star power and his professional wrestling abilities to like great, great value. It it was such a joy to watch, such a shame of the ending.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, sometimes, uh, that happens to me. It didn't, it didn't ruin the match, but it was an unfortunate ending, um, yeah. at, at the, at the end of everything here. But yeah, I mean, th- this was one that, you know, I thought we were going to get a very good match, but I mean, for, for the majority of it, it, it over delivered. And mm-hmm. that's just coming from someone that like, I, I just, I'm not as big a fan. You, you have to do a lot for these like four ways to really grab me, but th- this one did. They, I, I
0: feel like we've, I I always tend to uh, uh, like underestimate them too but when I think back on it like a lot of the best matches of ever are like three ways you know like like triple threat matches like you know like WrestleMania 20 or like uh Joe Daniels and, and and AJ like those might be all matches that I'm I wasn't looking forward to as much as like maybe a singles encounter for storytelling purposes but in 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 execution like this was absolutely great it also like Because like the last time I saw Page and Okada in the ring, Page was, you know, in the G1 and nothing but sort of like the lackey in the Bullet Club, right? Or at least in the Elite. Now he's every bit the equal of Kazuchika Okada, at least, you know, in front of an AEW crowd. And that just kind of tells you how much he's developed, how much of a great job they've done with him um, to put him up on this level. It also showed me just how w- good Jay White translates to like an American audience. He fits in so well with this AEW b- bunch. His personality feels so strong. Uh, and his in-ring style, I think it works great for these sort of short burst matches.
1: And as well, I think it's worth pointing out like let, let's say this they hit the finish there was there was no problem with, with cole like he gets hit with the rainmaker then you do you know the, the finish the exact same way they do it only cole had taken a rainmaker and it's much more uh seamless the the ending That's the exact same ending, or not verbatim, but Jay White retaining and Cole Mm. eating the pin that Mm. people were so critical of. And if they hit the ending on this one, I don't think you're getting a lot of people complaining, even though that was the outline that so many people were down on that this was so predictable. So I think that also tells you something that, you know. You do have to leave some room for, for execution, even though it doesn't sound like the most inspired outline of a match. But yeah. this, if save for a, an ending that went awry due to a potential injury, they hit it and I don't see any complaints about this match. It's
0: really hard to complain about a match this good. You know, like, and I think that that always reminds you, like, work rate will always overcome, like, you know, maybe lack of interest going into a show. We we learn that every single week going into like these WWE pay per views every single month, I should say. But again, there is something to be said when you're selling a pay per view, especially about how much interest there is going into it. Yeah, and could they have? Uh, And this one, this one
1: was built up very, very haphazardly and just you know, very all over the place when Mm -hmm. when you go back to starting this like hangman challenging Okada and from mm-hmm. where it started. So then uh, Jay White just leaves and walks past the young bucks and Kyle O'Reilly who are coming down, but this is not an angle. They're just going to the ring, presumably to check on Cole. And we never like, we don't get any update on Cole and they don't show anything that's going on in the ring. So us, mm-hmm. the viewers at home didn't
0: see any of that. And anything further um, between Jay White and Adam Cole and the, and the elite and, and the bucks coming off of this. We that's wonder. right.
1: Final match of the night John Moxley and Hiroshi Tanahashi for the interim AEW Championship. I really like this entrance for Moxley where he's coming back through, through the back of the United Center. They pass by, you know, all all the bulls uh, tr- like the uh the, the the trophies that they have on the wall, uh the like the mural and just walking with regal. It was a very cool, simple but very cool entrance and kind of incorporates the United Center into the entrance. And Uh, Tanahashi comes out great reception and we begin and he's working on the knee weakening it for the cloverleaf and then Moxley hits a cutter out of nowhere. I guess it's on loan now since uh, the other one can't use it at the moment. Um, He's been doing it, but yeah, like everybody's been doing this move. (laughs) Everybody that has cutters, the cutters up for grabs. Uh, Apparently during this match, uh, security had to remove two people who like. We're getting into some kind of fight, and then I guess one of the guys tried to fight the security people, and this led to the crowd chanting, you fucked up at these guys. And you're just hearing it uh, as if, like, they had blown some spot or something, but it wasn't reflective of the match. It was – this was going on, like, um, ten minutes into the match or something.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, it distracted a little bit from the match. Um, Idiocy still uh, occurs um, at these shows,
1: yeah. Moxley puts Tanahashi through a timekeeper's table with a uranagi, but Tanahashi battles back with a sling blade. They started having a discussion. If a sling blade is more effective than a clothesline, it's up for debate. What would you rather hit somebody with? If like your life depended on it, someone's going for your wallet. I feel like the sling blade is a bit of a softer landing than a
0: clothesline, you know, or depending on the clothesline, obviously depends how hard.
1: Yeah. Moxley. uh, Obviously the answer is a sling blade because Moxley took this sling blade and he bled buckets from this sling blade. He goes there, to, he rolls to the floor from this sling blade and he comes up and he's a crimson mask. Was there and, a literal, literal blade in this sling for them to get this much color off of like a sling blade? One of the I've announcers just asked, how did that happen? And they're th- <laughs> maybe they clunked heads and then they're thinking, um, you know, whatever happened here. It's like. So the explanation it, they came afterwards was um, the stomps,
0: like the. The, the Tanahashi the wrist, stomps. Yes. Yeah, the wrist clutch stomps. So, so I mean, even th- that feels far fetched, honestly. Like to, yeah. to get sort of, that sort of cut.
1: I'll, I'll t- did this match need blood? Not at all. I mean, I, I thought so too. And you've got Wednesday. Like Wednesday should be have your bloodbath on Wednesday. This so match did not need it for me. So I feel like maybe that
0: was part of the thinking, like for the closing visual to, to get us to blood and guts, like to have Moxley full of blood. But I'll maybe. tell you why it didn't work. Tanahashi was the babyface in this. You know, so like to have the aggressor putting on that, that hold at the end and like having the baby face be the one that's... Well, you know, maybe
1: maybe cool. they did not envision it being so... Like by the end of this match, this is like 90% pro-Tanahashi. And maybe they thought it was going to be more split with Moxley and Tanahashi but that still, it would be like you're doing baby that, faces.
0: But still, you're doing that closing spot with Tanahashi nearly passing out. Like he, it felt like it was a match made to have Tanahashi be the underdog. Well, certainly the underdog.
1: Uh, he hits him with a bunch of uh, twist and shouts, which um, I mean, who knows what what damage those could have done, the twisted shouts. I don't know. I mean, after man. a sling blade, <laughs> trying to kill the man. Uh, and then he hits him with the, uh, Tanahashi kicks out of, kind of a version of a paradigm shift more close to just a straight DDT and then hits another one or goes for another, but it's stopped and Tanahashi hits the Kamigoye on John Moxley, which Kevin Kelly did identify That's Kota Bushi's Kamigoye. I mean, he was not subtle about it. Aces high to Moxley. He goes back up for the high fly flow, hits it, but there's a brief delay. And then Moxley kicks out, which still notable, um, when he hits the high fly flow clean and goes for the pinfall, goes to the bulldog choke, tanahashi is out and uh, or gets out of the submission and there's a huge lariat. tanahashi kicks out of at one, and this crowd goes wild and at this point they're all behind tanahashi. he's eating elbows, goes to the rear naked choke, this whole crowd they're chanting "Go Ace." It was quite the scene of how mm-hmm. much they were behind tanahashi, and he applies the bulldog choke. tanahashi gets to his feet, they're rooting for him, and he's hit with the death rider and pinned in 18 minutes and 17 seconds um i'm not going to say this was was match of the night but i i still found it to be a really compelling match and i just thought uh, both guys were great but man tanahashi is somebody that we will look back on as a just what a special special talent that is going to be um he will be revered one day by um by a Wrestling nerd tag team like FTR thirty oh, years yeah. from now, and whoever <laughs> yeah. like Darby Allen if he's Tanahashi, if was, right. Yes. Right. Tanahashi yeah. was right. Yes, Tanahashi was always right. Tanahashi was right. Yes, that is going to be the level of reverence for a Hiroshi Tanahashi one day.
0: I, I mean, you know, they they have made the comparison on commentary to Bret Hart, of course, and I think it's a very apt comparison because I think his is a style that you appreciate more and more and more as time goes on. I, I, maybe some for some people this might have been their first time watching um hiroshi tanahashi i guess and i, I think if you're expecting like a will osprey type of like spectacular you know catch you um, catch your i think um uh imagination on on first glimpse i don't know if he's necessarily that type of wrestler the same way bret hart is in that t- same type of wrestler but when you like can really kind of watch his matches and get into him and and, and you know feel the crowd reactions and like know the mechanics of like his comebacks and not to say i know it i'm not a wrestler but like there are things that he is able to achieve that i think you know guys who could do multiple flips can't and and aren't even necessarily working on um so it was like i wouldn't even say it was the best example of that tanahashi type of match but like in front of a different crowd and in front of a baby face, like John Moxley for him to elicit this sort of reaction, I thought was very special and and told you a whole lot about this crowd. Um, I think this was a great showcase for John Moxley. Okay. There's no doubt that I think punk versus Tanahashi was the more interesting match on paper, probably the match that, you know, would have sold better, but the quality of the match was definitely better with John Moxley in it instead of CM Punk. He has grown so much and he's now so well-rounded. He's like the the fact that he's like in the Blackpool Combat Club has kind of given him a bit more of an excuse to like be a lot more technical with his counters, with his transitions, and with his great like with his submission work. There's so much fluidity to it all to all of it now. You couple that with the aggression in his brawling and his A plus promos, he feels like the most complete wrestler in the entire company, and I'm putting him ahead of Kenny Omega, of CM Punk, of Brian Danielson, in that regard because he could do promos so well, because he can wrestle in so many different styles so well. Um, so I thought that it was a tremendous showcase for him.
1: Yeah, I mean, it would have been a, quite the atmosphere having Punk in this situation. It in would chi- have in Chicago. Yeah. Um, yeah, like it. It does tell you like the amount of depth that AEW has that they could transition. And this was plan B. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, that really does showcase like what you have at your disposal. And the fact that you could do this when, and this pay-per-view as a whole with, again, the names that they are absent, like the idea that AEW has CM Punk, Kenny Omega and Brian Danielson, and they're unable to utilize them for, for a pay-per-view like that yeah. would be crippling for some companies. And here they were able to pivot. Um, yeah. Afterwards, They trade, they exchange words and they shake hands and then Jericho and Daniel Garcia run down to attack. Eddie Kingston is down, followed by Yuda, Santana and Ortiz and then the rest of the Jericho Appreciation Society. And you know where it's going. The last person to come out to his music is Claudio and he goes after Jericho, delivers European uppercuts to everyone. Regal makes his way down and Angelo Parker takes the swing. And we got to see a Claudio swing with only four camera cuts. It was so weird. Wow. It was so weird not to have a cut on every half rotation of the person. <laughs> or or a zoom,
0: is the camera zooming in and out.
1: Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, and then Kingston is on the floor and he spits at Claudio and he just storms off and Excalibur is explaining how they loathe one another.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting, too. I mean, that's sort of backstory. I'm not really privy to, but it, it seems similar to the whole Brian Danielson thing. So it makes this whole you know, storyline that much more deeper.
1: And the show ends with Wild Thing and Jr. saying we're running out of satellite time and they closed the show at 11.46 p.m. For someone that was so um, uh, vocal about the length and pacing of Double or Nothing, I found tonight's show to be – I didn't find any downtime. I didn't find any point where I was like sinking in my energy level. I yeah. thought the pacing was terrific on this show and this was still a card that went four hours and 46 minutes.
0: I had the same reaction and I I can't even really vocalize why that is. Cause like there was no downtime in between these matches. Like I I think there were still some of the same complaints in that, like, oh, they cut right away after this ending to the next thing. So you don't really have enough time to digest. It's always onto the next graphic, always onto the next thing. um, Very minimal video packages. And um, there's just a novelty, I think to like, you know, ultimately maybe seeing these like first time encounters that still felt incredibly special despite how, you know, we might, might might've kind of lamented the, the card that we ultimately had once we're in there. And after seeing the quality of these matches, it's very difficult to like, not be excited about uh, both companies coming out of it. But like, there's something incredibly special when you pair the two of them together. And this is very different from, I think the ROH, New Japan pro wrestling relationship because, because the disparity in star power was so great here. AEW has stars, at least you know, to this audience, and I would say on a global level at this point. Meanwhile, the same reverence that this crowd had for New Japan during those ROH shows remains, and so we have a lot of homegrown talent now that is on the level, if not greater. You know, let's be honest, than New Japan. Uh, so it made for a real started started show and 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 a, and a feeling that felt very special.
1: Um. So. Just before we get to the feedback. So afterwards, um, they have announced the next ROH pay per view will be Death Before Dishonor on July 23rd. And as well, uh, Tony Khan, uh, this is transcribed by Fightful, uh, said the show was a big success. We had ticket sales of over 1.1 million. Uh, and he goes on to say, um, the pay-per-view. I said if we hit a hundred thousand worldwide buys, I would feel it's a big success, and I feel very comfortable now based on the early digital numbers, saying we did a hundred thousand buys and more. I feel great about that. So, yeah, interesting that,
0: that interesting that that's his barometer for success. You know?
1: It it tells you they were obviously expecting like this was going to be not in the range of where their recent pay-per-views have been. And I, and Mm -hmm. I think that that was a reasonable expectation as, especially as we got closer to this show and you are losing, like, I think losing punk is, is bigger than people. Oh yeah. And tribute. Like that's, that's a big hit that you take to a show like this. And that has helped lift you. Like, like punk has been your number one guy that has Mm -hmm. helped lift your pay-per-views to that level. So you take that out. Um, Again, my, my kind of number is like 115. And I think you if you top 115, I think you you should be really happy with that. And I guess for Tony, his number was 100.
0: I also wonder if like this is a really strange show, I think, to compare because you're talking about half a roster on the show that has zero national American TV exposure. So you're relying on the people who have warm, fuzzy memories about New Japan Pro Wrestling from years back. And, you know, at this point, it's like some of your biggest hardcore fans and people who just maybe, I don't know, are going by AEW's Goodwill or may might have somehow been interested in from watching the Dynamites uh, in the three weeks preceding to this. Well,
1: that so, would be the it, argument. It's like you've had four weeks of national television to sell this show.
0: Yeah, it's tough, though. It's tough without the talent present and without knowing the card, honestly, because like they, they don't know who is going to be available. So. Considering all the handicaps, I mean, I, I guess I can understand why he would peg, you know, one hundred thousand as as a success. I think they'll do bo- above that.
1: All right, let's get into uh, super chats, calls. We've gone uh, very late already.
0: Yes, we have. There's a lot to talk about, but uh, we go to some of you guys first. Who says uh, uh, first here? MJ in our super chats. Thank you very much, MJ, for the super chat. He says, "I will tell my kids." Shota Umino is Hiroshi Tanahashi. Okay,
1: he's the same got ways to go,
0: but uh, okay. Similar look. Absolutely. Bruce Lord. Thank you so much for the $5 super chat, Bruce. He says between Shapada and Claudio's appearances, every qualm I had about the show's build was instantly forgotten. Fantastic show from, from front to back. I would agree with that. We got a snap Joe who sends $7. Thank you for the support snap Joe. He says flew up from Toronto. Show was a blast. Crowd was so hot. OC versus Osprey was the highlight next to Okada's entrance. Sending good vibes. Thank you for the good vibes. Snap Joe. All right. Uh, you want to go so, to some calls at this point?
1: Sure, let's do that.
0: All right. Uh, we're gonna go to somebody who I think is actually from Chicago. He just joined the room right now. His name is Jake. Jake, did you go to the show tonight?
3: Hey guys, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm currently in my car, uh, just coming out of the arena uh, for Forbidden Door tonight. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. And uh, I gotta say, uh, considering the the you can argue the the somewhat underwhelming build to the show, especially in the go home uh, the go home dynamite. Uh. I would say they overdelivered uh, for my uh, my expectations, and I, w- I would say an almost perfect show tonight.
0: Yeah, we would agree with those sentiments, and it seems to be the the case with at least some of the earlier uh, reports we've seen. Um, is there anything about like maybe the live setting that you 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 wonder if if it necessarily conveyed, or that you can uh, you know talk to us about that uh, we might not have seen on TV?
3: Yeah, you know uh, when. Uh, regarding the uh you know the debuts tonight and the and the surprises uh we definitely we I, I would say our biggest pop was katsuyori shibata uh when he came out and uh especially within my section uh we when we first heard uh those first two notes of his uh of his song and when his name popped up on the tron um everybody was ecstatic and the roof blew off the place uh considering that uh You know, Shabbat has been out for five years, Um, you know, he's really been around a lot. And, uh, and I was kind of stunned that, uh, you know, uh, people around me uh, really uh, immediately recognized him and, uh, and uh, uh, knew him. So it was it was such an awesome experience. uh, a couple of notes uh, and then I'll uh, let you guys go go on with it is that uh, it's i, I kind of feel bad in a couple instances um because uh, during the uh the Triple Threats tag match um and unfortunately before uh before the uh the finish of the match uh when i think it was rocky when he tried to cover uh, dax and then uh the referee paul turner uh it seemed like his uh one of his arms uh arms hit the mat a little bit and it seemed like uh, it was uh it mistakenly uh looked at as a three count as a, as a three count. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we were kind of confused, um, confused, uh, within my section and, and, um, some, some of the other people, uh, I'm not including that, um, unfortunately, uh, said, uh, you fucked up at him, uh, which is kind of, uh, yeah, I kind of feel bad at uh, him, but, uh, yeah, I mean, like, uh, we were talking about it. uh some of us, that uh, some, uh, there might be a couple of rough issues uh, tonight, but, uh, I mean, overall, it was, uh, uh, besides that, uh, I was a huge, um, uh, fan of the Osprey, um, uh, of the Osprey, uh, match, uh, with, uh, with Orange. Uh, that was my match of the night. And, uh, but, uh, unfortunately, I wasn't a huge fan of the women's match. Uh, it was, uh, it was okay, but it was like kind of theirs. So other than that, um, uh, yeah, like, uh, yeah, I, I had a fun time tonight and it was really great to, uh, back in a live setting uh, especially for aew so uh, hope uh, hopefully uh, soon that you guys will get that chance uh, i've been uh, up in my friend uh you guys for uh, my friends in toronto so uh yeah any other questions you guys have for me
0: uh no i think you did a great job actually of giving us a, a little live report there so uh thank you so much for the call jake as always all
3: right thanks so much guys appreciate it
0: have a, have a safe trip home uh, all right, there's a uh, Jake from the Windy City checking in right after attending uh, Forbidden Door. Uh, let's go up next to Brandon from New Jersey. Uh, or sorry, let's say let's say Brandon from New Jersey. Let's go up next to Hanzi. Oh, Hanzi, are you there?
4: Hey man, um, yeah. You know, uh, I I gotta say, um, it exceeded my expectations. I thought it was like a really good show top to bottom. I know it, it wasn't as long as the other shows, but I I gotta say, by the time the call and the, um, and the, um, the Cole and the Moxley match happened. Whatever, I I just thought that I, I was kind of getting a little bit tired. I I wasn't really excited about like the four way anyway. Like, it was a good match, but the ending. I know the end. It, it's it's a shame that what happened to Cole, and I hope he's better and all that. I just didn't believe. Really just just on match. that
0: note, uh, Brian Alvarez has tweeted that Adam Adam Cole's injury is believed to be a concussion, wishing all the best to him. So, for what it's worth, um, that's at least one it was one of the first indications we we've, we've heard.
4: Oh yeah, okay. Well, I, well that's, that's good. I I, I hope he you know, is not out too long, man. It's like too many injuries going on. But uh, I gotta say, my um, my top my top match with the triple the the, the tag team triple threat, the state the sting match, uh, the opening match, and Osprey OC was probably the match of the night for me and Claudio and Zack Saber Jr. Um, the, the the other thing is that I, I found the end, like for a historic show like this, like I just felt like. You could have just let the brawling breathe a little bit, you know what I mean? Otherwise, it would have been a perfect show. I just think I understand they're trying to sell you on a on a, on a on a on a on a main card or whatever, you know, like on like the Wednesday show. I just thought it was like way I just thought it was way too much, but I I still enjoyed the show. My question before I go with. With Kingston kind of having a problem with Claudio, do you – I can now kind of see, like, if, like, something happens during the Blood and Guts match, do you think after this Blood and Guts match, they kind of pivot over to Moxley kind of being in the middle of this whole, like, he's stuck between Kingston and Pride and Powerful and the Blackpool Combat Club kind of thing? Because it feels to me like eventually, like, like Regal and those guys are going to turn on Moxley, you know what I mean? I've always thought it was kind of a setup in some kind of way, or there'll be kind of thing going on. But I'll I'll leave you guys with that, man, and I'll, I'll take your question off the air, man. Thank, Thank you, Hansi. Hansi.
1: Yeah, I think what you're going to see is the exact same dynamic you had with Danielson, and now Claudio's in that role where it's someone that Kingston is teaming with, but has you know a has a past with, and probably plays into uh, the finish or something coming out of it. I think everything
0: that we're seeing right now are build up build ups to per, potential matchups between Eddie Kingston, one of your hottest baby faces, and people like a Claudio Castagnoli or Brian Danielson. Um, but doing it in a way that, like, first of all, like teams them up first, so that you get some value out of you know that first before breaking them up. Um, and I, it's an interesting story. Like I think, and I think, like what Hanzi suggested of having mocks caught in between, but um, you know is a wonderful scenario we saw uh something similar with like uh you know the the bullet club and, and kota ibushi did we not you know the golden lovers and 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 the bucks where kenny was caught between um kota and and the bucks and that made for one of the best tag team matches i've ever seen so um there's some great story material to be there and the fact that like castagnoli already comes in with like a pre-built fe- feud here in eddie kingston I th- i think is wonderful uh, let's go next to Brandon from New Jersey. Brandon, how are you?
2: Hey, what's going on, man? Uh, uh, I thought probably one of the better shows that I've seen, like in a very long time. Like uh, incredible. From did the you
0: like it that. more than uh, Double or Nothing?
2: Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, I think I did. It was easy to watch too. Like like you guys said, like the pacing of the of the sh- of the shows was light years better than Freaking Double or Nothing. Like I didn't get tired one bit. From was it the pacing the of the
0: show or was it the, the, the matches? Like, cause like, I don't know if the pacing was all that different. I mean, it's always uh, it, just if, in action.
2: Like, uh, it felt to me like completely different. Like, yeah, like we're like, at, like after one match, we're into another match. It, it felt, the pacing felt good. And then like,
0: isn't that yeah, what, what AEW like, always does though?
2: Uh, it, I, this one felt better, uh, easy to watch than uh, double or nothing to me, but that's just me. I I don't know. But, uh, uh sting and the way he jumped fr- uh i was completely blown away by that spot i thought that was incredible but let me ask you this was that was that really sting in the rafter, or was, or was that jeff farmer
0: oh <laughs> jeff maybe farmer was... from, from the end of uh new japan
2: yeah yeah well, New from, Japan uh, sting. yeah yeah. What do, you, what do you think about that interesting
1: maybe it was a shavkat Rachmanov. <laughs>
2: Yeah, he's gonna be a future champ. Uh, might uh, be. That,
1: he looked fantastic on Saturday. That dude,
2: that dude looked incredible. I mean, the, he, him and uh, him and uh, which are gonna save that division. Uh, but that's all. <laughs> you guys look tired. Uh, I believe I, you at that. Uh, I enjoyed the show, and uh, we'll talk soon, man. Thanks Thank for
1: you. the compliment.
2: Thank you, man. Love you guys. Love you.
0: Uh, same. <laughs> sure. Why not? Thank you. <laughs> Uh, You wanted to do some feedback, John? Yeah, let's do a few. Okay. Um, MJ. Forum.postwrestling.com. All patrons of the Post Wrestling Cafe uh, can leave feedback. In addition to that, of course, you get bonus shows every single week. More than bonus shows. I mean, on every Tuesday, you get either a Rewind Away, an Ask Away, or a Talk. And every single Friday, you get an edition of Rewind a Smackdown slash Rewind a Rampage exclusively for members of the Post Wrestling
1: Cafe. That's right. As soon as we're done here, Way is going to watch Destination X 2012. I'm saving we- that for Tuesday morning. Are you kidding me? Be- right before we record. No,
0: I'll
1: yes. watch it tomorrow. Yes. Yeah. We will be chatting about that on Tuesday. AJ Styles versus Christopher Daniels in the midst of the Claire Lynch saga. That's why this person chose it. Awesome.
0: Okay. Yes. Great. I can't wait to talk about Claire Lynch.
1: Okay. Uh, MJ, I'm going to, I'm going to condense here. Tonight was a fever dream come true for. Wrestling fans who have woke up at weird hours to watch wrestling in foreign languages, packed civic centers and ballrooms at mania weekends, and shown undying love for pro wrestling wherever it could be found. Tonight, it was the United Center with the most raucous crowd in recent memory. What a night to be a fan. And says that Taz was fantastic. That cannot be understated. What a great move, giving him duties tonight. Regarding the recent pre-event negativity, it was hard for me to imagine this show wouldn't have to- wouldn't totally deliver, and it totally did. Sans, the four-way finish was anything below one milk, one sugar. Sure, it was snake bit by injuries and first-time learning curves with the builds and pacing of them, but I cannot wait until Forbidden Door two. And to think Joe Punk, Brian Omega, Ishi Naito, Abushi can still be added to this type of show, yeah. They have, uh, I mean, a hundred percent. I think they're going to do this again. And those names, especially that you have attached for a second one. Um, you know, you, you got off the ground with the, this first one and the hope would be that, you know, show two, you can do. Uh, other meaningful matches uh, as well. Like that, that's what we said at the beginning here was like, this was not going to be a one and done kind of concept. It was, you were going to do multiple shows and this one, you know, you you can certainly look at the, at the lead up. This one was hit with, with many different uh, issues uh, attached Mm -hmm. to it. We go to Dr.
0: Alex Patella, who says I was on the fence about this after the injuries, but it totally delivered so many amazing matches. Almost everything, everything clicked other than the IWGP heavyweight title match with the odd ending. Claudio debuts as a big star. Hopefully he is able to continue this push and not fade like Keith Lee or Spears, etc. Uh, not sure I love the let's set up Dynamite ending over the big Tana and Mox moment, but I guess they are in a ratings war. Overall, I could not have asked for more. So glad I pulled the trigger. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we've kind of talked about like the odd positioning of this one, you know, it, right in between Double or Nothing and right ahead, days ahead of Blood and Guts and having to build both at the same time on a dynamite. You can understand why they would choose, you know, the most visible part of the show to get viewers to watch Blood and Guts. But from a storytelling standpoint, I, I feel like it definitely felt awkward and I think it took away from the grand grandiosity of the situation. Um, so I, I agree,
1: Alex, but I mean, we can understand why. We go to Mark. What a phenomenal show. The entire event was incredible. The most high-energy crowd for a pay-per-view that I can ever remember that was loud all night. No midpoint lulls on the show. The only blemish was the slightly awkward finish to the IWGP title match, as clearly Cole was supposed to kick out, and Jay White definitely seemed annoyed. Also, one of my favorite storytelling touches that was done so subtly during the end of the show brawl was that all of the BCC, along with Santana and Ortiz, were in the ring standing tall, except for Kingston, who stood on the floor, clearly annoyed with Claudio. Something with Kingston has so in the seat for months in many interviews where he has spoken about his disdain for Claudio, all stemming back from their Chikara rivalry. If this was another company, it would have been the focal point of the build-up to this Wednesday night. Instead, here it was, just a moment for those who have been following that could notice a neat storyline brewing in the background. I loved Excalibur, Kelly, Taz, and uh, would welcome them as a regular commentary team. They were very good tonight. I enjoyed them a lot. Yeah, Yeah, I didn't realize... um...
0: Uh, Kingston had had been already like you know speaking about Claudio and, and building all this up in, in interviews.
1: So he made he made the he made the one tweet when when Claudio left WWE. It was like kind of the the subtle tweet about him that uh, everyone kind of focused on. So yeah, he's
0: he's kept it around. Wow, interesting. We go to uh, Wolfman Handsome who says this was a really good show. No Cell Sting is the best. Top match is Cassidy versus Osprey. Moss is the right choice for the title, and I hope he keeps it. Punk is a bum.
1: Matt from Tennessee didn't care for the ending of the shows. I feel like they've done a good enough job for the build for blood and guts, but I guess I can't complain too much because this was a top five pay-per-view for AEW. I was hoping for an Omega return at the end, but guess he's still a few months away from returning. AEW really nailed the show with how cursed it's been with the injuries. Match of the night for me was Osprey and Orange Cassidy. I hope Tony offers will truckloads of money whenever his new Japan contracts up overall, though it was a fantastic show props to Kevin Kelly. I enjoyed his commentary. What do you see for Moxley's title challenger? Uh, He throws out Jericho as a name. And if you think Brian Danielson is fine by all out that we get him and Zach at that show. Um, I guess that's a possibility. I mean, you're talking Labor Day weekend when it's a few weeks removed from the G1. So that's a possibility that that you could do it then Um, in terms of Moxley. uh, I guess Um, you build probably for some kind of summer, summer title defense on TV. Maybe.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the rankings right now, and it's, you know, Moxley, of course. It's Wardlow, who seems to have his sights set on the TNT. Page and Cole had challenges uh,
1: already. Like, Page, they said, Page says, I'm not going to be near a title shot anytime soon. There you go. So i have a Cole. story for that. Cole, Cole, it might be, you know. Uh, Cole's already lost. He, like, even lost. healthy Cole's kind of he he's had his losses. So Yeah, true. You know, then, is someone someone strong coming out of uh, blood and guts. I mean, if it's even if Moxley's team wins, um, you know, you could you could set something up there or yeah, you could do Moxley and Jericho, I guess. Jay
0: Lethal is ranked number 5 and it seems like he's going for uh, Samoa Joe's ROH TV
1: Championship.
0: He needs to set of-
1: his sights higher.
0: Like he he has a rightful claim to be number one contender right now for the AEW World Championship, but something tells me he's instead going to go for the ROH Television Championship instead with Satnam Singh. So, yeah, I don't they're they're gonna you know shoot somebody up there. I think you know to to fit these ratings, and there are plenty of people um, that I, I would love to see Moxley go up against at this point. But you know, on the other note from from this person with the feedback. I feel like it's a guarantee that people like Osprey, people like Jay White, will be getting offers, um, and healthy offers. You know, from this was a litmus te- litmus test to see like how well this these crowds react to them, and they they already you know treat them like major major stars. So I think there's going to be bidding wars for all of those guys. You know, once their New Japan contracts are up.
1: Moggin writes, uh, Forbidden Door came through with a strong outing despite the rash of injuries plaguing both rosters. The U.S. title match is easily the best of the show. Orange Cassidy proved he's more than a comedy wrestler as he was every bit Osprey's equal. Claudio's debut against Zack is also a standout. Moxie and Tanahashi was a strong main event and Moxie's bound to have a title run without COVID-86ing it. And Kevin Kelly was on point on commentary the whole night
0: we got a Brian from New Jersey who says, despite the weak build, I thought this was a terrific, terrific show. If the pay-per-view number is low, I'm curious if replays will be picked up based on word of mouth. A pay-per-view card full of good to great matches with not a stinker in the bunch. Better in-ring than double or nothing last month. Claudio immediately came off like a major star and I couldn't be happier to see him. Also, some of the strongest commentary for this pay-per-view with Excalibur and Kevin Kelly filling in a lot of the details on the New Japan talent.
1: Corey from Long Island. In all seriousness, uh, oh, he makes a joke about uh, this ending before midnight, making it the best AEW pay per view by a country mile. Uh, this was the breeziest four hours I've ever sat through. This is such a wild contrast to the marathon slog that was double or nothing last month. And I can only hope that this is a case study for the future that quality doesn't necessarily equate to quantity. This is getting your money's worth, but there is also respecting the time of your audience. And as someone who has work tomorrow, that is something worth celebrating.
0: Was there not as much quantity on this show as previous? Like, I mean, you still
1: got 13 matches on this show. It's not like this yeah. was uh, this was some so compact. So the difference, I think,
0: between this and last was that they, the buy-in last time was delayed, essentially, you know, so that the show could go longer because of the basketball, right? Yeah. So last time on the buy-in, we only had one match. They, we they had front-loaded four matches.
1: as opposed to back-loading. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so maybe that made a difference. We got a Kate from Montreal who says, whatever mistakes were made in the build-up and however badly they were hampered by injuries, this was a hell of a show. Other than the unfortunate ending of the four-way uh the IWGP Heavyweight World Title is absolutely cursed. Everything seemed to hit. I'm pretty sure the pops for Shabbat and Claudio woke my neighbors. A round of applause to all the performers, all of whom brought their A game into the crowd who
1: were incredible. All right, and last one here goes to uh Monday from Detroit. I attended the show live, and I have to say the United Center was completely hot for the entire card, and each match was given lots of respect few live notes. The biggest reactions were for Shibata, Claudio, Okada, and Tanahashi. The crowd loved Osprey and Orange Cassidy. Everyone was buzzing after the show. Strange low point with the four-way finish took the air out of the crowd for a moment. A fight in the crowd distracted the crowd for about five minutes in the main event, but Tanahashi won them back. Post-main event scrum, some something got Eddie Kingston legit angry at Mox, even throwing a chair. I think that was all. Uh, we, we saw all that on camera. I think that was just playing up the, the Claudio stuff. And asks, uh, with the incredible reaction to the live crowd in the U.S., you think new Japan will loosen the restrictions for cheering um I I don't think it's a case of like the the Japanese government is uh you know man <laughs> look, at these, look at these crowds at aew shows we should do this I mean it's um who is it is it not DDT that's promoting that they're gonna have fans being able to cheer in a few weeks at a, at a show
0: uh, it's one of the one of the shows yeah
1: so uh, like, I like I don't understand what the uh yeah, uh, of what the, I think it's it, if that's the case, if one company can do it as of a few weeks from now, um, that would tell me that it's up to the promotions or at least the venues uh, to do it. I, I would hope by by G1 time they're going to be allowing fans to to cheer at these buildings. But I mean, that's you know, that's sort of how they're how they're handling the, yeah. the pandemic.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's, you know, it's being done for safety and, and for peace of mind for, for the people that are attending. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I, I, they know that, like, wrestling with reactive crowds that can make noise sounds good. So, I don't think they needed this to, you know, be their example. Um, will it influence them? I Again, yeah. The, the moment they feel comfortable and that maybe, I don't know if there are outside factors that are preventing them from doing it. But the moment they feel that level of comfort, they will. So... It shows you just, you know, how big of a a difference, obviously, you know, it makes to some of this. But you also do have the novelty of like so many of these guys making rare appearances and seeing them with the biggest stars in AEW. So it was a great, great night of wrestling.
1: Alright, uh, thanks to everyone that has uh, stayed up late with us, uh, listen to the Forbidden Door post-show. Uh, because of the pay-per-view tonight, we will not be back Monday with the new show, so we will chat with you Monday night at 11 Eastern for Rewind to Raw. Uh, we'll have the whole schedule up on the site at postwrestling.com. Uh, lots of stories coming out of the uh, AEW show tonight courtesy of the great Andrew Thompson. Karen Peterson will have a report on the site Monday uh, going over Stardom's pay-per-view on Sunday featuring the promotion's first cage match and uh, a match between a uh, Tom, Tam Nakano, and Natsupoy, that um, has gotten tremendous reviews as well. So, that will be up Monday on the site.
0: I also wanted to uh, draw some attention to some of Karen's work over the past weekend. First of all, she was mm-hmm. on Post Pro Res with WH Park, a very lengthy edition of the show, talking a whole lot about everything that's been going on over the past month in Japanese pro wrestling. But if you're going to do anything, please go to postwrestling.com and read her first portion of dream slam weekly this week, a uh, very important comments from her about everything that's been going on in the U S and how it's been affecting her personally. We're uh, very grateful that she chose to use our platform to, uh, to, to give some of those very important views. Also um, the Nubian wrestling advocates return this past week with a brand new show. I've, I almost listened to all of it. It is as always incredibly entertaining. They're joined by rich fan to talk about, uh, uh, Sasha and Naomi, a great deal of time spent on Vince McMahon. And I think the drop, you, the best quote-unquote drop you will ever hear in, involving Kendrick Lamar and Cody Devontae Rhodes.
1: Yes. Um, and even work in some Herschel Walker discussion, too. So it's it's all covered on the Nubian yeah. Wrestling Advocate. So check that out. Some great work all weekend from, uh, from uh, the, the NWA podcast. Karen Peterson, WH Park, Eric Marcotte. Andrew Thompson, even Neil Flanagan uh getting Oh my the goodness. News, the news action, my my secret weapon, Neil Flanagan. Are is he our Wheeler Yuta? He, he was, was our Claudio this Uta weekend, post, okay? He was uh <laughs> yes. Call sure. on the uh the, the big gun himself.
0: So there you Also Nomics is out as well looking at uh you know the uh the the stock price uh, after the, all the the Vince McMahon news over the past week. So very interesting discussion there. Yes, you can check out
1: all of that. And we have another big week coming up, uh, including uh, next weekend. We'll be back for Money in the Bank on Saturday night. Phil and Eric will be covering UFC 276, which is a huge card uh, with International Fight Week uh, for the UFC. So lots to come. And we'll be back Monday night, 11 Eastern, here at YouTube.com slash Post Wrestling. Subscribe to the channel. Before you go to sleep, hit subscribe. And you will and it- never miss a show from Post Wrestling.
0: And if you are already subscribed, consider becoming a patron at postwrestlingcafe.com. It is the best way to support the channel if you enjoy the work that we do. And we'll reward you with some bonus shows on top of that as well.
1: All right. Postwrestlingcafe.com is where you can go for all of that. And we will say goodbye.